What is career personal break and how can it change your life? That's what you're going to find in today's episode with Carrie. She decided to take a career personal break after she ended her four-year-long relationship and then follow her heart to Buenos Aires in Argentina. This trip helps her break social to family and religious expectations and find her compass. We're going to talk about how her childhood, family, relationship, career and traveling influence all this journey and how she eventually find her compass. You're listening to The Broken Compass Show. Raw conversation about how people navigate their life when they feel lost with all the good and bad and bittersweet things. Because life is not always rainbow and sunshine, is it? If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate it and share it with somebody who might need to hear it. The more people can hear the stories, the bigger the impact it's going to be. And now, let's get to it. Well, hello, Kerry. Um, thank you for joining me today. I am uh, very excited to talk to you. You are actually the first person on this podcast that I haven't met and I also don't know that much about you. So it's going to be an extra interesting for me to to learn all kind of uh, things. Um, because we met through our common friend, uh, Fiorella, yes. uh, who you met in uh, Argentina. Yes. Uh, and me too as well. And she basically just told me, hey, there's this really cool uh, person, Carrie, and you should talk to her. Uh, she has an amazing story. Uh, and that, that was basically <laughs> kind of natural what she told me. And then we had a short call and I was like, yeah, this is going to be a, a lot of fun to talk to you. So I'm happy to have you here. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, those very kind words. And uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy to finally meet you as well. And um, to have this little chat, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation as well. Shout out to Theo, by the way. Shout out to Theo. <laughs> well, and um, maybe just to put it in a context, you are kind of, a, can we call it a, a sabbatical in, in Argentina? Mm-hmm. I like to call it a career and personal life break. That's, Ca- that's career really and, what it was. and personal yeah. life break. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> how, how long was that, by the way? Um, I was in Argentina for six months, so at the end, I landed in the end of January, and I came back to Canada at the end of July. So about six months. This year, or it wasn't this year, right? 2022. Yeah, 2022. I had done something. I had done something similar in 2016. I had gone to Thailand for about seven months, um, mm. and just like my experience in Thailand, the original intent was for me to take a little break, but also to uh, try something different, Um, something that interests me, but that's different. So it was to teach English mainly. Um, The difference is that I I got to Argentina. I did my certification at at TEFL course for the Mm. first month. And then after that, I was like, yeah, no, I'm I'm not teaching. I'm going to take this time to relax and be me and just live life. And it's the best decision I made for real. (laughs) Yeah, well. Based on your tone of voice, I would say yes. <laughs> and um, well, so h- how did you get there? To uh, you know, w- what's behind this intent to take a career? And I like that you call it a life break. Yes, <laughs> I haven't heard that before, and I love it. I love that. Uh, so, w- what was behind that? Well, thank you. My career and life break. Um, in all honesty, I was in a relationship. I was in a relationship for give or take four years, um, and the relationship had become very 
I don't like, I feel like it's a very trendy word nowadays, but I felt like it had become toxic. It was really taking a toll on me. And the person I was seeing at the time, um, I pretty much told him, you know, either we both put our all into this and we focus on bettering the relationship or, you know, you do what's best for you. I'll do what's best for me. We make selfish decisions. And basically his decision was, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a selfish call. I was like, I respect that. I'll do the same. And my selfish call is to leave, to leave Canada. That's what I want to do. I feel like that's where my heart's at. And um, yeah, it was a difficult decision to make because I, I loved him. However, mm-hmm. we had made it to a point where I needed to love myself more. And I called up the same organization that I had partnered up with back in 2016 when I left for Thailand because my experience in Thailand was also a beautiful, life-changing experience. And I wanted to do something similar, but I wanted to do it in South America because I needed to practice my Spanish and just get more into like the Latin cultures and the vibe. And so uh, that's how it happened. I called them up. They said their next departure was for Argentina. I Argentina had never been on my mind at all, but I was like, sign me up. I'm there. Let's, let's do it. Let's go. And I uh, <laughs> got on the plane and I left. That's very funny because, uh, you know, I... I was in Brazil and then I was supposed to go to Colombia mm-hmm. uh, and never thought about like Argentina was the last, but I was like, if I have time, maybe on this journey, I'm going to go to Argentina because I knew right? nothing about it. Exactly. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then I ended up in Argentina and it was really good to be honest. Um, but going, going back to, um, you know, where you were in that relationship um, mm-hmm. and, um, and you kind of notice it, it's not working out. Was it something that, was there a, some kind of a trigger point when you were like, okay, now this is it and we need to resolve it? Or was it a, a slow kind of a, a burn that, that kind of... Mm-hmm. So it was slow. It was slow, but it was loud. By the time I made that call, it was very loud. So when I got into this relationship, I was just out of another relationship. And that relationship was like a 12 year one, the first one. And I just got Mm. straight into the second relationship. I didn't really take time, like a break between the two to, because the second individual, my ex-partner, we had been friends for a really long time. So I felt like I already knew him and it just, it just, I don't want to say it just happened, but things organically moved, Mm. progressed into that relationship. And um, at first, it was a lot of understanding, compassion, you know, we were very compatible. We felt good in each other's company and um, we both answered a certain need for each other. But by the end of it, I, I came to the realization that it was, it was trauma bonding more than anything. It was codependency. We weren't standing on our own two feet. We were like taking from each other in a very like, again, toxic way. And mm. um, when I say it was very loud, um, I, I didn't recognize myself anymore at all. Not that I knew who I was to begin with because I jumped into the second relationship, but, you know, I had like, I believe I was going through like a sort of depression, um, I like crying all the time and just not being myself, not speaking up for myself. And it got to a point where, yeah, I, I needed, I needed to step away and really focus on myself um, because I didn't feel like I was being prioritized in that relationship. And uh, he felt the same. And a call needed to be made, and I'm just happy that I was able to make it. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> that takes a lot of courage, you know. I mean, getting out of the relationship that even lasted that long is uh, 
like I've seen people going through it and I know how difficult, at least how I perceive it as how difficult it was for them. Cause you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that you get through. Right. So, so I, I, I agree with that and I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, it's, it's never easy, especially when you do have very strong, very real feelings for, you know, your partner, but, mm. um, feelings you might have for someone else. I personally don't think are always the best reason to stay in a relationship. Mm. Um, you need to have a very holistic approach and look outlook on things. Um, you can't erase yourself just because you, you love the other person. That's, that's not healthy. That's not right. So yeah, that's how I feel about it. <laughs> right. So then you decided to, to fly across the, across the world. Well, just South actually. Well, you said across the world, it, like it might as well be across the world, completely different continent, completely different surroundings, completely different mm. environment. Might as well be across the world for me, to be honest. So, <laughs> <laughs> and so, what what happened on this uh, on this journey to Argentina? Well, uh, I tell my mom this is what I'm thinking of doing, and then when I finally buy my ticket and everything, my ticket and everything, I tell her I'm going. And my mom, God love her, but she she, she was like, "Are you sure you want to go?" Omicron is just you know, taking the world by storms right now. It's so dangerous. You don't know anyone down there. Like, you know, it's, it, it, don't you just want to push it back a few months? I was like, nah, no, no, this needs to happen. It needs to happen now. <laughs> I'm going. So I got on the plane headed for Buenos Aires, Argentina, and I land. I don't know anyone there. I'm at a hostel for a few days and I'm like, you know what? Let's go to El Calafate. So I get on another plane, go down south, start traveling for a few days. And then by the end of my first week and a half there, I settle into my unit with the other teachers and we start going to class. So there was myself, there was um, an American, there was, and then two Australians. Mm. And uh, that was our flat. And then the whole group, we had people from the UK, from a lot from the States, a uh, few Canadians, a few Australians. Um It was really cool. It was dope. And um, I started joining groups on Facebook, going out, building a little bit of a network around myself outside of my, you know, group friends, the, the, the other friends, the other teachers there. Um, and it took, a, you know, a month or two, but I finally found my rhythm. I found my vibe. I rented my first apartment on my own as an adult because I had always lived with someone, either a partner or family. So the first time I had an apartment on my own was in Argentina. Um, and it was really cool. I really, really loved it. Having my own space, having my own freedom, not having to care or worry about anybody else. And it, I say it and it sounds so selfish, but at the same time, I'm like, you can't see it as selfish. You have to see it as like empowering. It, it was growth. Mm. It was a new experience, um, defining moments for yourself as well to understand how you are in your own space and how you are with your own, see, I'm debating, I don't know if solitude or loneliness are the right words, because I feel like both of them have a bit of a negative connotation to them. Um, but mm. in, in, in my own space alone, basically, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. There is this, uh, um, there is, I read in some book that, uh, you know, sometimes you need to be on your, uh, lonely Island to, to figure out stuff. And, uh, 
you know, they, people need to let you go on that island and just be there so you can figure out some uh, stuff out. So it makes sense. I completely agree with you. Um, I was speaking to a friend of mine yesterday, actually, a new acquaintance, mm. and he was explaining how he's the firstborn and he comes from a culture where tradition very strong. He's a very traditional person and the firstborns have a lot of responsibility. You know, I'm also a firstborn. So I understood where he was coming from. And at some point in the conversation, I asked him, I was like, do you feel like you missed out? Because I hear a lot of responsibility. I hear a lot of duty. I hear a lot of, you know, I had to do this. I didn't have the option of, I hear a lot of expectations. Do you feel like you missed out on just having, you know, a carefree childhood, carefree teenage years, being able to explore yourself, understand who you are as opposed to who people expect you to be and who you're told to be. Um, and in a sense, that's what Argentina was for me, being able to break free of the societal, religious, family expectations and just be for me, like for nobody else but me. Um, and that was very liberating. Mm. It was very liberating. So I agree. I think that time alone, that uh, island of solitude, I think you called it, mm-hmm. very necessary. Very necessary. Well, what's the what's the most interesting thing that you learned about yourself? While I was in Argentina, mm. um, I didn't realize how much how much of my behavior today, my actions, my reasoning stems from, and it's cliche, but childhood trauma. I didn't realize how much I was on autopilot, especially when it comes to my thinking and my emotions, my emotional reactions, Mm. as opposed to being in the driver's seat and controlling and understanding why I'm responding and reacting the way I was. Um, That was very eye-opening for me. and I also didn't, I was, a. I knew, but I wasn't fully consciously aware of how limiting I was to myself. Um, mm-hmm. A very like simple example is I, I really enjoy music. I love music. My dad's a musician. Every time I have like a free moment at home, I've got music playing in the background. I love music. And uh, I really enjoy dancing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really enjoy dancing. And that's something that I also discovered, I think, in Argentina, how much I enjoy dancing. Not that I'm great at it. I don't think I'm great at it, but it's not the point. The point is that it brings me joy. And um, when I dance, sometimes I'll get in my head. I limit myself. Instead of just allowing the music to flow through me and just feel it, I think to myself, like, oh my gosh, people are watching and I'm going to mess up and I'm not actually doing the steps right. And I apologize to my partner and I, I limit myself. And uh, through Argentina and even being back in Canada now, I'm kind of diving deeper into that. And it's like, well, why do you do that, Carrie? Like nobody actually expects you to be perfect, even though that's how you were raised, how you were brought up, perfection. You know, you always have to be irreproachable. That's not an actual realistic expectation for you to sit on yourself for life. So how about you take a, you know, take it down a notch or two or 10 and just Show yourself more compassion. Stop limiting yourself so much and just allow yourself to be present, to be there, just to be. You know, and whatever comes out of it, comes out of it. Mm, yeah. And Argentina is a really good place to <laughs> to, to be if you want to dance because uh, they love to dance. Um, Listen, Argentina. Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> Argentina, Argentina. Yes, they love their dance. They love their music. They love their food. 
Um, and it's just, they love, I was just using, they love having a good time and living, not just working, living to work, but actually working to live, which is beautiful. The funny thing is that, you know, if you would, if when I talk to like people from Peru or Venezuela or Colombia in, in Argentina, or when I talk to them, they would tell you that Argentinians are still like not enjoying the life yet <laughs> completely, you know, as, uh, as they really? could. Yeah. It's like different perception, right? But for, I, I can kind of see where you are coming from because, you know, for me as a European, I see how warm the culture is. Um, but I have seen the other parts and they are also still like, there is difference as well, but it's just, uh, you know, the gap between Latin America and like the other regions, I think is so big that, uh, that, uh, for us, if you already go to any country in, in Latin America, you will have the feeling like they're so warm and they're enjoying life and they hug and they smile. There's more proximity, more touch, right? Well, yeah, I, so I haven't traveled extensively in South America and Latin America. Um, so that's definitely a beautiful excuse for me to go back. I am going to go back, um, to visit more countries and understand more of the history, the culture and everything, the people exactly to your point. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised though. If, if the word is that in Argentina, people could enjoy life even more, I have a lot to learn out of life. <laughs> I have a lot to learn. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But um, I want to go back to one thing that you said. You said you've been, you've been in Argentina and you've been with all the other teachers working mm -hmm. on the TEFL and then you were mm -hmm. supposed to teach English. But if yes. I understand correctly, you know, from the conversation that we had uh, last time, I, you didn't teach in English in the end, did you? I did, but very, very, in a very limited capacity. So mm. my plan was to go to Argentina to do the, the TEFL certification and then to work full time and sustain myself while I was in Argentina off of my teaching earnings. And um, the organization partners, partnered us up with a language school um, and the language school offered us positions at the end of our certification. However, the wage was ridiculously low. And I know that the economy in Argentina is not the same as the economy in Canada. However, in order to sustain myself, um, I would have to work um, 40, 50, 60 hours like to be able to sustain myself you know, comfortably. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned before, this was supposed to be a career and life break. Um, I did want to work. I was ready to work. However that 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 wasn't the purpose of me going to Argentina to work like a 40, 50, 60 hour week. So I made the decision at that point in time, I'm just going to live off of my savings and I'll have two students, maybe three. So that's what I did. On Mondays, I had two students. Um, and the rest of the week here and there, sometimes I would put in a few hours for an employer back in Canada, like ad hoc. But um, I, I didn't work much at all, which was good because... I enjoy teaching. It's not my profession. It's not my career, but there's something very gratifying about it for me. So just having the two students, three students that I had, um, I think it fulfilled the teaching need or what I was looking for in teaching, mm -hmm. which was good. Well, was that, uh, because you said you made a decision, was that something that like you thought about it and you made a decision? Because for me, you know, um, I was also thinking for some time, like, should I be working while traveling to make sure that I can kind of 
go through it. I have some savings, but they're in, in um, uh, most of them is now in crypto, which not really the great time to take it out. Um, and I still like, even though I decided that I'm going to stay here, I was eventually so only supposed to travel to the end of the year. I'm going to stay for a few more months. Um, I still like every now and then I think about the decision and I'm like, is it okay? Is it okay to take this money and just like spend it here, you know, instead of, uh, or, or it's just, I feel it's something that is so, you know, the career and, and being able to make money is so connected with my identity that it's really hard to, to let it go and say, okay, now I'm just gonna just be here, spend this money, and then I'm gonna figure out. Although, like, logically, I know I want to do it, but still, there is some, you know, this kind of something be- below it that kind of sometimes pulls me a little bit back. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely relate with everything you just said. For me, it, it was a conscious decision, but it's one that I, how can I put this? I didn't really see any other option than to not work the full time because I already mm. felt it within myself. That's not what I wanted to do. Like, you know, have even 20 hour. I didn't want to do it. I really felt like I didn't want to do it. And I was like, you know what? Argentina's economy isn't necessarily that. Um, it, it's, it's not necessarily a place where I wouldn't be able to get by if I don't work for the next little while. I, I can mm. make it happen. So. It was, I'm not going to say it was a no brainer, but it wasn't as difficult a decision as it would have been if I was, for instance, back here. Um, and funnily, funnily enough, I, that's where I find myself right now. So I'm back in Canada, found a great job. Um, I'm living in a, a nice part of town in Vancouver, probably the most expensive city in Canada. And I feel the, the pressure of the financial maintaining, maintaining all of this. I, I feel it. And I'm, Again, it's the first time that I'm living on my own in Canada because last time I was here, I was with a partner. Mm. Um, and I find myself having a lot more like balance of, of anxiety. Anxiety, like I don't want to call them attacks, but that's what I'll call them, anxiety attacks. And, mm. and I'm like, this is not Argentina Carrie. You're not actually happy Carrie. So what do you need to do in order to make it back to a place where you, you feel joy, you enjoy, you know, living, existence, all of that. And I understand that, you know, sustaining yourself and working, you're not always going to get to do what you love to do. And it's not that I'm shying away from working. Mm-hmm. I just don't necessarily find that what I do is very fulfilling. And if I'm not there right now, very, very, very soon, I'm going to make it to a pivoting point in my career and in my choice where I'm going to choose being fulfilled over the money. It's coming. Mm-hmm. I know it's coming. And... um in some ways, I'm looking forward to that because the stress and the anxiety of making somebody else's dream a reality that doesn't even necessarily fulfill me, it's not mm. worth it. You literally have one life to live. So why? It's, it's not a logical choice. And a lot of us make it. And I'm not understanding why. But uh, for me, I'm, I'm, a, I'm about there. I'm about there mm. when I'm going to pivot. By the way, I have kind of two, um, two questions now. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, where do we start? For, okay, we're going to go back to the Argentina. But, uh, so you were there for a few months. Yes. Why did you go back? I ask myself the same question right now, to be honest. Um, at the time, because I made the decision not to work financially, mm. um, it wasn't sustainable longer than the time that I was there. So the main reason for me coming back home was because I needed to find a job and start paying off my bills and 
it was a financial decision. Um, and uh, if I, I was told, actually, I met someone in Argentina and he told me, he was like, you know what? I see you and you're on a beautiful journey. You're on a beautiful trajectory right now. If you can stay, I, I'd recommend you stay. I wouldn't go back just yet. I think it's going to stunt you in what you're looking to accomplish for yourself in your life. And mm. at the time I was like, yeah, I, I mean, I hear the words that you're saying, but you literally just met me. You know, I know best. <laughs> I know best. Interesting. I messaged him maybe a week or two ago on Instagram. I messaged him. I was like, I don't know how you saw it, but listen, you were right. I should have stayed. I should have stayed in Argentina. Um, I should have figured something out, find a way to make money while I'm there. But like, I should have stayed. <laughs> he was right. Okay. So uh, where were you still at the Argentina? Um is there, is there some story or some something that uh, was important or touched you on that journey in Argentina that, that kind of uh, stayed with you? Something that touched me were the connections that I made, the people that I came across, the people that I met. Um, I Not only how people viewed me, mm. but also the, the connections that I was able to make in such a short time like I, I still speak to Theo fairly mm. regularly and other friends that I met while I was there and uh, the human connections that, that touched me. It really did. And it made me realize that's, that's what makes life worth living, who you live it with, how you're able to live it with other people, how you're able to be of service, how you're able to be there for one another. Um, yeah, that's probably the one one of the biggest takeaways for me from Argentina, the connections, the human interactions. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I can relate to that because for me part like biggest part of the journey was um I, I have to say I'm more selective of, of meeting people. I probably very if I think about it, I'm probably very unsocial traveler because I haven't met like horrendous amount of people. And I stayed many times like didn't go out uh, when we were in a hostel. I didn't really talk to many people. But I did met a lot of people where I, I had a lot of yeah, connections and a lot of depth of discussions. And I feel like I needed those, you know? Like, um, it's important for my journey. Can I ask you why? When you go to hostels, and I recognize myself in some of what you're saying as well, but when you go to hostels, you're surrounded by other travelers, other foreigners, um, other locals. Um, why? Why do you sometimes shy away from interacting? I don't know if I shy away from it. Okay. I just don't want to do it. <laughs> because okay. I don't know, you know, I, I feel that for me, you know, part of this journey is kind of rediscovering myself, which mm -hmm. needs some introspections. And I don't know, sometimes it's seeing me to do yoga and sometimes I need to do nothing or write or, yeah. And then... um Oftentimes, when you are in this discussion, it's like oh, the same same thing that you're talking about, maybe, as well. And the other thing is, it's quite often with a lot of different people. And I had just a conversation about it like a few times with somebody. And I started to prefer talking to one or two people at the same time. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think you can really have a more in-depth discussion if you talk to more people at the same time. Maybe can happen sometimes, but mo most likely no. We want uh, there's too much noise, too much thoughts that going around. That's one. And I had the, uh, I had another thing in mind. 
<laughs> it'll come back to you. No, but I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I'm, I'm the exact same way. It's easier for me to make a good connection or have a good connection with someone or with a, a smaller number of people than in large crowds. I'm not at home in crowds or in large numbers. Um, and yes, it's the conversations tend to be very superficial when you're interacting with so many different people all at once. Um, but when you're interacting with one or two different individuals, you can actually have meaningful conversations, ask, ask meaningful questions. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot more, there's more depth, I find, with smaller numbers. Yes. And uh, the other thing that I wanted to add to it is, um, you know, I realized that there is like, it was, uh, I, I just heard it in some podcast that somebody said like, you're going to have better travels if you have kind of a, a, a mission, if you have sign of a, a direction of what you, what you want to do, you know, on the travel, whatever, whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. You know, there was, a, he was giving example of some girl that was going around and, uh, um, she was going to every city and asking for how they bake the the pastry that they make from their city. She was kind of collecting recipes and, and learning how to make this pastry with local people. And that helped kind of help her connecting with people and give her excuse to talk to people. And I feel like my mission is very different to a lot of people that I meet on the journey, you know, depending where you are, of course, as well. But there's a lot of people who just want to like see everything and they, uh, you know, they, they plan the whole journey ahead. Like, I, I don't know where people ask me, like, where are you going to be next month? So I'm like, I think maybe I'm going to be in Argentina again, you know, like, I, I think maybe on Monday, uh, maybe on Monday I will cancel my bus and, uh, and I will go somewhere else, you know. And it, yeah, of course, I have the luxury that I have a lot of time. Right? But it's also yes. partially like that. Uh, that that uh, the purpose of the travel, you know, which is a lot about me. So I was like, um, yeah, I was once in uh, in Buenos Aires, which is kind of an odd thing to do if you travel around Latin America for most of the people, I think. But I needed a time, you know, I needed to stop somewhere, and I needed to write, and I needed to do some things, I needed to kind of calm down. Mm-hmm. That was part of my journey. So I think that's the other reason why I'm not always that um, that social. I I really appreciate what you said. Um, in the sense that traveling with a purpose. And I think you said, you know, I have the luxury of time and, and time really is a beautiful thing to have. Um, I'm more of a, tra- well, so far I have been more of a planned traveler. So mm. I'll have an overall plan. Like I'm supposed to be in South America for six months. Maybe I'll be in this country for two months and I'll be in that country for, for, for two months and I'll be in that other country for one month. And, you know, I'm open to changes within that, but at a macro level, I need some type of structure because, um, and I'm discovering this about myself. I have a thing with control. Uh. (laughs) I have a a thing with control. And um, I think the next level though, the next phase for me is going to be something more similar to what it is that you're doing, which is go where to travel, but with, not just to do the sightseeing thing and just, you know, one week in that all inclusive to travel and to go with your heart, what feels right, what you feel you need to really listen to. I say you to really listen to myself and allow myself to live experiences based on, on, on what I feel I should be doing, where, where I feel I should go next, not, not be so controlled all the time. I think I have a lot to learn on that level. 
Yeah, but by the way, like I have a vision, you know, it's not like, like I'm completely... Oh, no, 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 I'm not saying that it's a complete free-for-all, it's not what I'm saying, but you are giving yourself room to make changes mm. to your itinerary, to make changes to your plans, and that's not what feels right in the moment. Um, yeah. I don't think everyone necessarily does that. And you know, I I, um, I think that uh, uh, I had a couple of moments like this, you know, the uh, first one is I, I flew to uh, Sao Paulo, I met a friend, and she's like... You want to go for a weekend to Florianopolis, which is exactly the opposite direction of where I wanted to go. And I was like, okay, I mean, I'm doing it. I'm here, you know, whatever. <laughs> why uh, not? Well, I went there and then then I went north. So I went completely at 5,000 kilometers up north uh, Brazil. And I went to this um, city called uh, Pipa. It's like a beach town. Beautiful mm-hmm. wipe. A lot of amazing people. I was supposed to stay there three, three days and I stayed three weeks almost. What? And a lot of people who go to Pipa stay there for much longer than three weeks. <laughs> Just wanna, <laughs> and that's not like what well, I have examples of like ten people who I met there who were like went for months and they stay there like seven years. That's um, that's amazing. Yeah, there's something beautiful about a town like this. I know people are just very present. It's like relaxes. You, you can't really stress about anything there. You know, like bus goes when it goes. Everything is there. You have sea, you can surf, beaches. What are you going to be stressed about, you know? There are no, like, jobs to be stressed about, I think. Uh, and the vibe of the people around is like, nobody's stressed, you know? What do you want to stress about? Uh, so it's a very interesting uh, uh, lifestyle there. And, it sounds like uh, bliss. Yeah, and, and I was in all this bliss, you know? And I was supposed to be in Brazil in my, my kind of first plan just for one month. And then, this is three weeks, I'm, well, let's say first week in Pipa I'm walking to from the hostel to the party which was I don't know 15 minute walk down uh, to the city uh, I was walking alone and I was like I was thinking and I was like I can I can make it like there's no way I, I'm gonna see what I want to see in Brazil in one month because I had like two weeks left you know or, or maybe even less and, uh, and I, I got really stressed out about it and I was like on that on that like empty road and I stopped and I was like that makes no sense you know why I'm stressed out like why do I have to be here just for one month you know like can be here for longer right? I can travel longer if I want to and that, that was kind of a I don't know where that moment like came from you know like mm-hmm. but it was also the atmosphere and the people um, and I also remember another moment which I think if I would be younger I would had completely different uh, I would do it differently and then mm-hmm. I had a friend who start traveling maybe a month later after me and he went to colombia i was supposed to go to colombia after brazil and we kind of wanted to meet there and i think if i would be younger i would kind of i would have in my head i have to be there because i kind of promised to be in colombia so i have to be there mm-hmm. but i was like no it's just like i can't make it there on the time you know it's it's it sucks that I'm not gonna see this guy, but I mean he's from Europe, you know. I sent him like two months ago, so yeah, it sucks. But no, I just do do what I need to do. It makes me think of a conversation I had with a cousin of mine mm. not too long ago, which is showing up for yourself versus showing up for others, um, and how 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 we balance the two in life in general. Because as like. To point out, like from your example, you mentioned you had promised your friend you were going to be there, but then you were really enjoying your time in Colombia and you felt like you had a lot more to see and you were running out of time 
it's not Colombia, sorry, in Brazil, you're running out of time to see what it is that you wanted to see. And so were you going to keep your promise versus do what felt right for you? And it's, uh, it's interesting sometimes how we go about making those decisions. Um, you know, you, could, you totally could have thought about it as my word is my bond. I said I was going to do it no matter what it costs me, I'm going to do it. Uh, or completely look at it from a different standpoint. I know I said I was going to do it, but right, I, right now I, I really need to do this for myself. And so the stakes aren't as high if I don't follow through as long as you communicate that, you know, but I really need to prioritize what, what I need right now. It's, it's interesting how we balance that out because, um, on the one hand, as I said before, you know, your word is your bond. You know, what you said you're going to do, you need to, you need to follow through and you need to do. But on the other hand, it's also, well, how much am I going to mute myself or not listen to myself and my own needs in order to please or appease or be there for or cater to? Um, I find that balance really, really prevalent in life in general. And it's interesting how we each choose to manage um, those expectations. Hmm. <laughs> yeah and and you know um i had this i think there's also a huge difference in, in culture and also this like in this example yes you know we kind of said we're going to meet each other but it wasn't there was nothing very important about it you know mm-hmm. it was meet each other f- fun in colombia but we're gonna mm-hmm. be you know we are and we are adult enough to like at this point that we're gonna have fun anyway you know it would be nice but it's not something that like we're gonna die because it didn't happen, and yeah. um, and the other thing is, you know, I had this uh, this uh, discussion actually with uh, with Theo and and some other people is that in Latin America, if let's say we agree tomorrow, today that tomorrow we're gonna call each other, like from a European perspective, I consider that to be done. You know, we yeah. agreed we're gonna call tomorrow afternoon. Yeah, yeah, maybe we we even say time. <laughs> But in Latin America, it doesn't really work that way. Yeah. Like you need to text them next day. Like, are we having this call? Like, yeah. is this? And I, and and like so many times it happened to me that I was like, okay, so let's go. And they're like, where are you? And they're like, yeah, I thought we are not going anywhere. And I'm like, yeah, but we agreed, right? Yeah, but you didn't confirm it to me. And I was like, well, why yeah. you need to confirm it? We already agreed. agreed on it, right? And they they are like, no, 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 you need to confirm it. And I was like, oh. It's a it's a funny uh, funny difference, but I think in it, it kind of in Latin America allowed me to that uh, go with more with the flow. You know, if tomorrow I don't feel I want to do something, I I'm not going to do it. You know, even if I agree to it, I'm still going to write to people. You know, I'm European, so I'm going to write them. Hey, I just I can't make it. I don't want to make it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think it allowed me to, and that's why I also said I'm maybe even less social in those hostels, right? Because I allow myself to just. But do it like there's so many people who are like ah come with us and i'm like okay well give me number if i feel like it i'm gonna come but i'm not promising it to you you know because yeah i have other things that are priority basically for me and that's something that i would not be able to do when i was younger i think i absolutely hear you 100 percent on all fronts it's interesting when i think of latin america and latin cultures and and there's warmth there's warmth. Yeah, I think warmth. That's what the first word that comes to mind. Warmth in how they are, how they greet you, how, you know, just just how the energy, the vibes around them, just warmth in that. There's warmth when you think of the dancing, 
the the dancing is not rigid and it's fluid. It's just emotion. It's just I see mm-hmm. warmth in that as well. Um, and when I think of nor- northern cultures, or you know, more well, I'll say North America because I'm not as familiar with a lot of the European cultures, although mm-hmm. I had exposure. But I feel when I think of of, of the North, I, I feel cold. I think cold, structure, rigid, no, not fluid, not much room for like movement, improvisation. It's it's really really interesting to me, and I find that like you know, nothing is ever good. Too much of a wow! I can't even speak anymore. Nothing is good in excess, right? Mm. <laughs> Being at either extremity is never a good thing. However, there's something that's so enticing to me that's calling me from mm. Latin America because th- that fluidity, that warmth is—I don't know—it's calling me, and it's—it's—it's. It's, it's, I I said earlier that I'm going to make it to that pivoting point um, in my career where I, I feel like I'm going to have to choose, you know, what's fulfilling, what feels good to me. I don't know why, but I'm telling you, Danik, I'm going to end up in Latin America again. Mark my words. <laughs> well, I'm going to be in Latin America very soon. I'll be here, so just let me know. You know. <laughs> we'll link up in person. Listen, have more of these conversations in person. Absolutely. That'd be cool. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and uh, you said something interesting. You said something is calling you. Is that- yes. Because I, well, I don't use calling, but I maybe I say like I feels feels like I have to do this. Or I feels I have to go there, or feels feel I have something I would never say like five years ago. But I would even like look at people like, what does what do you mean? Like it feels like yes, you make a decision about it, or <laughs> what? Yes. What does it mean? Would, would that be something that you would did you had this kind of connection with? Um, can we call it connection with your feelings or with your heart? already before how did you came about it this is something very recent to me because again growing up um in my household and it 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 was all about responsibility what you need to do it how can i put this my biggest model in life uh, growing Mm. up which was my mom my mother um it was always about responsibility and duty it was never about finding your own voice. That's not the model that I had. It wasn't about doing what felt joyful to her, what brought her joy. I I feel like her joy, she, for the most part, gets through her children. Mm. And, um, and so that's, that's also how I saw myself for a very long time. It's all about responsibility and duty, about what you need to do, what people need you to do, how people rely on you. It's, it's, it was never about me. Um, But I feel like, First of all, moving to Vancouver, moving away from my, my family home and everything was mm. uh, the first step towards me doing something for me. And then moving to South America, I became a lot more in tune with myself, with my own feelings, with my own emotions. And so I'm able to tell you, sit here today and tell you, yeah, you know, Latin America is calling me. I know that I need to, to go back and not just for a visit, like a long-term type of thing. I can tell you that because I know it for a fact. I feel it. But I don't think it's something I would have allowed myself to feel. I would have even known how to feel five years ago, mm. three years ago, 10 years ago. Um, and it, it has to do with self-awareness, which mm. is something that it's it's hard. It's really difficult, but it's so critically necessary. And something that I'm actively working towards as well, just being self-aware and conscious of what I'm doing, how I'm feeling, what I'm feeling, why I'm feeling it. Mm. Um, 
I'm no longer interested in being on autopilot, but it's not always easy. It's hard. Sometimes emotions are really strong and Mm. emotions are pretty much the opposite of that control thing I was telling you about that I have, right? Mm. (laughs) You're not always in control of your emotions. Um, And I have to learn to understand and grow grow and understand that that's okay. It's part of life. It's part of the human experience. It's not always about controlling it. It's more about reacting to it. You know, how do you respond to your emotions? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that part. <laughs> I had to cut myself off because I was, I wanted to go back to something, but we can go back to that in a second. But yes, no, I agree. It's um, to responding to, you know, I read, where was it? Ah, there's this guy, Pablo, Pablo Young on Instagram. Well, okay. he's not just on Instagram, but he is, uh, guess writer maybe i don't know if i can say poet if somebody knows let me know what he exactly is but he he brought this thing and he said how you react in the moment it's not who you are it's how you choose to respond afterwards that's like the present that's who you are you know that goes to sometimes we do things because the emotion kind of uncontrollably spilled out of us Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that you are that person yet you know it's kind of you can che- still choose what do you do about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, definitely something that uh, that I've been learning. And you know, I had so many moments. Like, yeah, I was ta- I was talking to a, a friend uh, who was very close to me last year, and then somehow, like, the, the bond kind of vanished out of nowhere. And it kind of it no, it hurt me. You know, I di- I couldn't say it in that exactly words, but it hurted me that I could not have those in-depth conversation and and that's time with her and then i wanted to write her right first of all i first give her a kind of silent treatment which partially was like okay give her space but also it was like here is your space and it's your kind of your punishment for <laughs> not talking to me you know mm-hmm. yeah then i was writing her message oh my god i had to i spent whole train ride from prague to bratislava writing the message so i wrote it and i was like I read it and I'm like, yeah, this sounds a little bit passive aggressive. Like, what do I try to achieve here, right? And uh, and it took me a long time to 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 to, to formulate it because my go go away uh, behavior, you know, when I'm hurt, at least one of them for sure is is being passive aggressive. Which, by the way, somebody told me like four years ago, and I was like, yeah, yeah sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I I heard it, but I didn't hear it. You know, if I if you know what I yeah. mean. I- so. I know exactly what you mean. I did the same thing with the friend who told me you shouldn't leave Argentina. I heard it, but I wasn't listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, but... Mm-hmm. Just before we, we, we move away, you said a few things that really resonated a lot with me. So um, how we react in the situation. And then you touched on communication as well, the importance of it anyways. And I just, I just... So this is something I, I've known, but I just put two and two together and finally understood it about myself. When I'm in highly emotional situations, because I'm 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 new to this whole analyzing how I'm feeling, why I'm feeling it, you know, and, and all of that. I'm I'm new to this body of work. So I just noticed the pattern within myself is when situations are too emotionally charged, I exit. I leave. Mm. And you can see it, you know, a, a huge example of that is my relationship, although sure there was a lot of toxicity and I needed to do what was best for me, and yet 
an option could have been for me to stay. Maybe not stay in the relationship, but stay in the country, stay in the city, work things out mm. differently for myself. I chose to leave the whole continent, well, North America, like fully left the country, fully left well, the continent. I went, I went to South America. So, um, and a lot of it is because, and I'm learning now, when something is very emotionally charged, I need to take a step back. I need to take a step back to allow myself to process my emotions and my feelings and how I'm thinking. And um, the next step now for me that I understand that about myself is to communicate that. Whenever I'm mm. in a situation, you know, you know what? This just happened. I don't want to react in any type of way. So I'm going to take a beat and take a moment and I'm going to step back. I need this time to recollect, like to collect myself and I'll come back and I'll respond when I've actually thought about it. Um, to actually say and do what I mean and what I intend as opposed to just reacting to the situation that's triggering me right now. Um, and it's, it's interesting because you then mentioned your friend uh, and that relationship that, that, that was altered, that was changed, that you feel you lost. And I feel the same. I had a similar situation as well with a friend earlier this year, someone that I've known mm. since I was in high school. And I considered her part of like my top three, top five close friends. And I mm. don't have many close friends. I have a lot of acquaintances. Uh, but people that I would open up to in that level, I don't have all that many. I, I keep my circle very close. And so to notice that I viewed her in a way that she didn't necessarily view me, um, it hurt. It hurt in the moment. And it took a minute for me to put the finger, my finger on it to be like, yes, I felt, I felt hurt because the type of relationship I thought we had is not what we actually have. Mm. And um, I think two things that have helped me leave that situation just let it be what it needs to be is for starters you know it happens sometimes in life how you view or how you think of people it might not be a two-way street that doesn't mean that the relationship is fake it doesn't take away from it mm. but it just it just means that how you feel and what you feel might not necessarily be reciprocated and you get to choose how you want to respond to that mm. but the second thing is also relationships grow evolve and change with time mm. maybe when we were younger you know our bond was much closer much tighter and we were just in, in a more similar walk of life. So it just made sense. But we've been friends for over over 15 years now, easily. And, mm. you know, she is now a mother. She's a wife. I'm living the solo dream. Like, we're in different spaces, different spheres mm. in life. And it doesn't mean that she's not important. But it just means that maybe what we got out of our relationship it isn't what it used to be. And that's okay. It's natural. Um, and yeah, I know it's something I have to learn to just let things be what they need to be when they need to be it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And it's interesting because also, you know, <laughs> when you say that the, the kind of trip to Argentina was partially an escape, I kind of mm -hmm. had that feeling. I was just not afraid to ask the question, I think. It's like, well, was it partially of Because I've definitely done that, you know? I like mm -hmm. my safe things and uh, kind of clean the slate, starting with the clean slate, right? Which is partially just not not wanting to resolve what's not working, right? Mm -hmm. A part of it. I mean, there is always the part also like, okay, I want something, new inputs and new things. It's not, it's not about uh, just about the escape, I think. But part of it uh, definitely... Uh, You know, when I first moved to Germany, it was definitely partially escape uh, from uh, the house of my family. So yes, I know I could not say it at the time. 
not just something that, that came later. My move to Vancouver was the same thing because, again, like I said, I was living at home, a lot of responsibilities, whatnot. And I felt like a lot of my family members were relying on me. I felt like a very, one of the main pillars in my household because anytime, so there's my, my, um, my mom and my stepdad have separated. So in the house, it was literally me, my sister and my mom and my brother. Um, and so I was always the middleman or middle woman. Mm. So whenever my mom and my sister would get into an argument, which happens often because they're so similar, they butt heads all the time. You know, sometimes I would be on the phone have one of them on one line, have the other one on the other line. Literally, the event happens now. Two minutes later, I'm getting a call from someone. And it doesn't matter where I am. I could be at work. I could be sleeping. I could be in school. I could be whatever. Like, I was just that support for... I felt like I was that support for everyone. And it felt really, really heavy. And instead of... Because I had proposed. I was like, guys, we just we should all go to therapy. We should get family therapy so that we can have these conversations and understand what each other means and like communicate on us on the same, you know, playing ground. I'm not equipped. I'm not equipped to like answer all of these questions for you and be that person for you all the time, but they weren't listening to me. And instead of, I don't know, trying in a different way, being more vocal about it, putting my foot down in a more firm, like in a firmer way, I just chose to leave, not just leave the house, but leave the whole city. I, I moved from Toronto to Vancouver, like three or four provinces between us. And it didn't stop them from still calling me whenever something <laughs> happened. <laughs> you know? It didn't stop them. But at least I, I had put that distance for myself, which was very, very helpful. Um, but again, even moving from Toronto to Vancouver, that is an escape. That is running away in some sorts. It's, it, it can be viewed that way. And How, um, how, how did that decision about uh, moving to Vancouver came together? Um, because I... so. When my 12-year relationship came to an end, mm. I decided to go on a small trip for myself. So I, I went to, uh, I took my mom to Jamaica. We were in Jamaica for a few days and then we came back to Canada. I was there for one night and then I, I took off again and I went to Vancouver. I was in Vancouver for four days and it was so beautiful. It was a great experience. I was like, I'd love to do that again. And so in 2020, um, mm. My partner at the time was finishing up um, his schooling and he was going to start working, practicing. And uh, we were thinking about taking the relationship, the relationship to the next level, moving in together. And so I was like, you know what? How about we do it outside of Toronto? We considered different cities, um, but it came down to Vancouver, I think, mainly because I was pushing for it. I really loved those few days that I had <laughs> spent in Vancouver, but he got a really good offer as well. So... It kind of became it kind of became a no brainer. It's like, okay, well, you got an offer, and I'm 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 not switching jobs. I'm still going to be working remotely. Let's go to Vancouver. Mm. Let's discover a different part of Canada. Smack in the middle of COVID again. My mom was not happy. She, she like she she understood. I need to do whatever I need to do for me. But she was like, well, what about some of these things that you do at the house? You know, how are we going to manage if you're not around? And like, you know, are you sure you want to move? It's COVID. You sure you want to move in with with your partner now? Like all these questions. And I was like, well, yes. Yes, to all wow. of them. Wow, <laughs> that's that's a lot of wow. That's a lot of pressure, man. Um, I had gotten to a point where, again, I would get like, anxiety is a revolving theme. I'm saying it out loud. I'm like, anxiety is a revolving theme in my life. <laughs> but I would get kind of these anxiety attack attacks sometimes at work, mm. um, especially when like there was a lot of heavy emotional situations happening at home. Um. Mm. 
And so I feel like it was really necessary for me to leave. I was going to therapy, but my family and friends weren't. So <laughs> it wasn't necessarily helping. And it was by the time I moved to Vancouver, my, my mom and my stepdad were just beginning the divorce procedures. So mm. it was very heavy at home as well. And for my mm. siblings too. Mm. Um, but I think I had just made it to a point where I actually couldn't handle it anymore. How how did that uh, going to the therapy went around? Is that a it's a kind of a normal thing in Canada or because um, in Europe it's I think getting normal. It's still not like widely yeah. I think accepted. In Argentina, it's kind of the opposite. Like I was surprised I because everybody goes to if you don't if you don't go to a therapy, you are the weird one. You know, right? <laughs> not the other way around. And I right? think that's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. I love that about Argentina. Like that, and it's affordable. I find that in Canada, it's not as affordable. Like mm. if you have insurance, great, but not all insurance providers will cover therapy like that. And not everyone has insure. Well, most people have health insurance, but it, therapy isn't always covered. It's easy to pay anywhere between 100 and like 300 for, you know, a one hour therapy sessions, depending on which professional you're with. $300? And, well... D depending on the professional in the city where you are, like in, mm -hmm. in Toronto, my sessions were closer to like 100, 120, maybe 150 on the higher end. Here it's closer to like 150, 200, 250 ish, you know, on the high end. It depends. That's not affordable for everyone. Toronto and Vancouver are expensive cities to live in. So mm -hmm. once a month, once every few months, um, if, you, if you're not covered with your insurance, it's probably what your cadence looks like. But I, I think therapy should be like every week, every week, even if it's not necessarily an hour long session every single week, but it would be beneficial um, because mm. it helps you reflect on things and just put things into perspective and just understand more about yourself. And unfortunately, I don't know if, is, if therapy is as normalized in Canada as it is in South America, well, in Argentina anyways, um, because I don't find that people talk about it as open. I have no issues. Shoot. I will tell anyone who wants to know who's interested, who has questions. Yes, I go to therapy and this is how it's like, that's my experience. I have no qualms talking about it. No issues whatsoever, but I don't mm. think everyone's like that. I think there might still be, it's dying, but I think there might still be a stigma attached to, you know, the idea of therapy. Um, and within the black community as well, it's not something that's talked about like that. So I don't know that it's as normalized unfortunately yeah where does this um you know it takes a lot of vulnerability to talk about things like that is that something that you kind of uh, brought up in the family or how did you how did you came around to be so open about these things no <laughs> no i was not brought up that way no <laughs> um it's uh it's more of a you know you uh, there's a saying in French, le linge, la, le linge sale se lave en famille, basically meaning, you know, dirty, dirty laundry. You wash dirty laundry within your family, in your close circle. People don't need to know your business, basically is what it means. Mm. And um, I just, I don't know when it happened. I don't know at what point in time it happened. Um, I, I think it is certain difficult topics I don't have not difficult, maybe more taboo topics. I don't have as much of an issue discussing just because I don't see what's taboo about them. So for instance, when I was younger, I was 
uh, in the relationship, that 12 year relationship, he was my high school sweetheart. So we started dating last year in high school. Mm. And so we, we started being sexually active, um, maybe a little earlier than other friends of mine who weren't necessarily in relationships or who weren't, who weren't having sex at the time. And so sometimes some of my girlfriends, you know, if they felt comfortable would come to me and maybe ask me a question or two. And I was always super open. Like, yeah, I've tried this. No, I haven't done that. This is how that felt. Maybe you should consider reading up on that. Like it was, I didn't feel like I had that. Mm. I didn't have someone that I could turn to, to ask these types of questions and not feel judged Mm. or not be embarrassed. And so if I felt like I could be that for someone, I was all for it. And I think that just kind of, you know, perm- is it permeated or led through other spheres of life for me. So like, mm. if anyone has any questions about something that I've done, good, bad, ugly, beautiful, it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day, I can't change my past. And these are all experiences that have led me to be who I am today. I'll share. Wow. And if that can help you, then all the better for it. You know, That's profound. Um, well, thank you. I, I agree <laughs> with that, you know, like what you, what you've, I've done some like uh, you know shitty things in my life, and not everything always works out, and there's a lot of mistakes. Yes, but ultimately, all those things led me to being who I am today, and mm-hmm. definitely a much better person <laughs> than I used to be. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, I see the growth, um, and that's a good thing. So, yeah, and I also cannot you know imagine how without certain mistakes I would became the person I am. Um, I kind of feel that they had to be made because they taught me certain things about myself that I would never figure out, you know? I'd be walking around it blindly and, yeah. (laughs) And... Oh, uh sorry, go ahead. I have this uh, question in my mind. So your job is uh, in, in the field of change management, right? Yes. And then I hear all these experiences of like when you are helping people, because change management is kind of, it's about people. It's about yes. psychology, helping people fr- get through things. Yes. Uh, and I feel that there's always some trigger that leads people towards this kind of field, let's say. And I wonder what was the what was the what were these things that led you to this uh, this career? Um. Okay. Interesting question. I, I agree with you. Change management is all about people. And uh, I was working at this company. I had been there for maybe three years by that point in time, two, three years. And um, they created a change management. They hired a change manager and then they created a change management position to assist that change manager. And they came to me because I was working in a training facility, a training cap- cap- capacity at the time. And they came to me and they asked me, you know, Carrie, do you want the job? We think you'd be a really good fit for it. You should consider it. And I knew nothing, I knew nothing of change management at the time. And I was like, I don't know. You guys are just telling me this could be cool. So I read up a little bit about it. Still didn't fully understand it. But I was like, you know what? I don't want to stay in the role that I'm in because I feel like there's, I want to grow more. So let's do it. Uh, I, and I took the job and I went for training um, and when I came back from training, I feel like I was a new, I was a new woman. It's like, I understand it. It makes so much sense. Let's do it. And, um, the reason I've stayed in it is because what I enjoy about it is the same thing that I enjoy in teaching. Um, at the end of the day, I find that as change management, change managers were meant to be 
the voice for people who aren't always at the t- at the table when decisions are being made, right? So my mm. lens is always thinking of others, thinking of um, their what would work for them as projects are moving forward and everything. Are we still considering their needs? And um, that's what I find the most fulfilling about it: listening, taking the time to sit down and listen to people, understand their struggles and their fears and what they love about what they do and, and, and help them through the change. Um, yeah, pretty much helping them take control of, of a very uncontrollable situation that's happening to them, basically. Um, I don't know if it's the best way to say it, but that's how I, it comes to me right now. Um, what I don't like about change management though, is especially in, in the higher up you go in the, hierarchy or, or whatnot and it makes sense the more experience you have the more you'll be called to make like strategic decisions and the numbers and the the managing aspect of it i find mm. it takes me away from connecting with people and i don't like that um i i love the connection part not everything else that comes with it so mm. it's my struggle right now that makes sense because you said you were before trainer right you said yeah What what kind of uh, what kind of trainer? I was I was only well I wasn't actually a trainer I was a training coordinator. However, within mm. the training coordinator role, I did do training, whether that be system training or orientations or um, provi- like giving like uh, national education sessions that we had annually. They asked me to step in because our Montreal trainer um, wasn't able to take on the the the. The workload at the time and so just providing information um in general that's the type of train training that i did uh, but then i also went into the kind of teaching a little bit so i did the tefl in argentina as i mentioned but before that i had done the celta certification and then tesol as well and um uh, instructing adults learners like certificates and programs and stuff like that um and that's also a component again that same element was there again helping people reach their own you know potential realize their potential and then reach it and when i think back to some of the most fulfilling experiences that i've had you know career wise i always think back to that one experience i had in university so mm-hmm. i was a uh, i was working at the uh, academic writing help center so basically mm-hmm. whenever people needed help with like essays or getting ready for exams or writing papers they would come and we were students um But we, they would book appointments with us and we could help them with structuring their papers and maybe just the content, like how, you know, how to phrase or word things better. And um, when I had, I had a few recurring students and when they came and something that I was trying to explain to them, when it finally clicked for them and they became so like, I'm thinking of this one person in particular, she would come and she was really struggling and I'm getting shivers just thinking about her actually. Mm. And she, uh... <laughs> She, she, she felt like I, I could understand her and she had so many ideas she wanted to put on paper, but it, it wasn't coming through. And so mm. through our sessions together, uh, at, at one point, I don't know when it just clicked for her and the glow that came out of that moment for her. I was just so thankful that I got to witness that she just, she was so proud of herself and I was really proud of her too. And I was like, girl, you got this. Like, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And then she started writing her 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 essays in a different way, and you could see the progression in her. And 
that was the most fulfilling. Every time I think of a fulfilling experience, that's probably top three of fulfilling experience career-wise for me. I don't even know how we got on this topic, but <laughs> yes. Perfect. I have a follow-up <laughs> question for this. Uh, first me. of all, what was the things that you different? Because I, I have exactly the same problem. Like sometimes the idea just they they um on the paper like they don't come out like yeah it's a struggle. So what was the what was the thing that that she did different? What did she do differently? Well, put some. I think the main thing that helped her was to put some order in her thoughts because she had so many of them. But then mm. it's not this. Um, the word comes to me in French, fil conducteur. It's like there wasn't like a common thread. The thread wasn't easy to follow between the flow of her ideas. So mm. what really helped her, I was like, put your ideas on paper. Not not every single point you want to talk about, but let's go macro here. Very, very high level, big picture. This is what the overall topic, the overall theme of this paper that I'm trying to write, and then break it down a little bit. So go through ideas. Okay, well, this is what you're trying to support, the thesis that you want to debate or explain this is how you're going to do it. These are the different ideas that you want to bring into the picture and then go a level deeper again. So within these different chunks that are supporting the thesis that you're debating or, or you want to explain, then what are your arguments? List them down, but very like title, like bullet points, high level. And then once you have that, then once she had that, then mm. she could start actually having a common thread from one idea to the next and the reader could follow as opposed to her ideas being all over the place. Um, that's what she was able to, you know, grasp, and then she started mm. putting it into practice. That definitely helps me. I'm, I'm kind of doing the the same <laughs> things, but it's still it's still not as easy <laughs> as I would it's like. Easier to said than done. Yes, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> Dan is not doing it very well. <laughs> uh, okay, and I also have to ask uh, the other obvious question, and that uh, you said this was top number top uh, three. What are the other two? Top Most three okay. moments. Well, there was that one when I was working at the Academic Help Writing Center. Another one was um, a student, when, the year before I was a student mentor for the Faculty of Arts. Um, and I had a student, she would come and see me. She was in psychology and she had a lot of readings and she just was struggling to get it all done. And she just needed help with structuring her, her time. So she would literally come and see me with her schedule, with all the readings that she needed to do. And all the, the 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 time that she she had available to do her readings, and she just wanted me to sit with her and like help slot in the different times. And eventually, she would see me less and less because she she didn't need as much help, which made me happy. Um, but I felt like her need was more reassurance. It was just it was just reassurance. It was just yes, you're doing the reading, you're committing to it, so it's just be efficient with your time. And then reassuring her that she had the ability to make her schedule on her own, you know. So that was a gratifying moment for me as well. And the third one, which is actually number one in my book, mm. is when I was in Thailand. So I was an English teacher and my students were uh, kindergarten three, first grade and second grade. Mm. And in kindergarten three, there was this young boy. He um, had a... Uh, you know, a, a certain level of autism. So he wasn't necessarily connecting with all the other kids in the same way. And I noticed that the teachers would give him a lot more leeway. So in class, even in Thai class, um, he sometimes would be in the back just drawing, not really paying attention when every other kid was uh, 
following the teacher and doing whatever they were doing. And um, so for me as a foreigner, I did not speak a word of Thai. And he understood some English, you know, but getting through to him sometimes mm-hmm. was difficult. And by the end of my time in Thailand, by the time I was ready to go, his name was Frame. His name is Frame. Mm-hmm. Um, Frame would would come to me and sit with me and hug me and just... We were, we were buddies. We were friends. There was, I don't know how, I don't know how Frame and I got through to each other, but we developed a bond that wasn't verbal. It wasn't, but it was almost as if like, you know, I see you and I can't put it into words that, that just being able to connect with him on that level for me was extremely, extremely gratifying because Mm -hmm. I know that had I stayed in Thailand longer and had I been able to develop a better, you know, bond with him, deepen the bond with him, I know that he would have felt safe coming to me whenever he was angry or panicked or um, whatever strong emotions he might have been feeling. And at four years old, four or five, you know, sometimes that's, that's, that can be tough, especially in a, a school setting. And kids can be mean as well. So like just knowing that he would have had in me, had I stayed longer, he would have had in me an outlet to just, just be. Um, yeah, that, that's a fond experience for me. It's a fond memory for me. And I always said, I'm going to go back to Thailand. I want to see Frame and want to see how he's doing. And all my other kids too, but like, mm. especially him. And unfortunately COVID happened in 2020 and I haven't been able to go. I think about them a lot. But I, in, in the, what I'm hearing from all the stories is that uh, you kind of see what people need and then you are able to provide it with them. That's kind of the threat for all the stories that I'm hearing. That's interesting. I don't think I ever thought of it that way. No, you thought like, I saw this girl was struggling and she needed this. And then this student came, he needed it to just get some reassurance about the reading. So I provided it that. And then I saw this guy and he did somebody who sees him. And so I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, I see it. You say it. And I think back to those experiences and others as well. And I, and I see it. And I think to myself, it's interesting how you can put yourself in a position to be very patient and wanting to see people for who they are, you know, mm. outside of the fluff, outside of what, just, just see people where they're at and for, for who they are. And it's interesting that you're not fully there yet when it comes to doing that for yourself. I'm speaking to myself in this way as, we, as we're having this conversation. <laughs> oh, I'm, ne- I'm neither. So it's okay. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, that's interesting, Carrie. Like, you know, you take time to kind of listen to people and understand them, you know, try to understand their perspective and their reality and where they're coming from. But you don't necessarily do that with yourself. If anything, you're hard on yourself. You don't give yourself compassion. You don't give yourself as much understanding as you will allow for others. Um, I find that interesting. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> do you find do you find that you do that for yourself I'm, I'm, I, ooh, let me backtrack for a second I take one or two steps back you mm. expressed what you feel um, that I see and that I actually provide other people 
And um, I followed it up with, I feel like I don't show up in that way for myself. Do you also feel the same that what you, what you feel you give or you offer people around you, do you find that you offer it to yourself as well? No, but I got better at it, I think would be the answer. Because I can think about some, you know, for me also, when, and, and I mentioned it on the podcast a few times, um, you know, when Liz died, she, for me, was also this kind of person who I would go to if I needed some comfort um, mm-hmm. or if I was stressed, she would always, you know, either do or say something and just be there and kind of get me through it. Like, give me the comfort. I think that's that's the best way to express it. And mm-hmm. I realized that um, since she's not here, you know, I kind of, I missed it. And now there's nobody else to go for, to for mm-hmm. that comfort. And I have to learn to give it to myself which definitely doesn't work out all the time. But I had a moment when I was uh, I was ready to leave uh, Argentina and this damn continent at one point, you know? Like, things were not going mm-hmm. well. Everything was mm-hmm. kind of falling apart. And I was like, damn it, uh, like, screw this. Where's the, where's the ticket? ticket? Luckily, the tickets were too expensive, so <laughs> my rational <laughs> part was like, maybe not, don't pay this ticket, you know? <laughs> Otherwise, I would be probably gone. And uh, and then, you know, I was kind of crying in my room and I was like, fuck this. And and I had this and I this kind of connected, you know, and I was like, what would like what would Liz do? Like, what would I will take myself for a coffee and alpha course. She loved sweet things, by the way. Um and uh, <laughs> and I have been eating a lot of alpha horse in Argentina, so that also connected. <laughs> How could you not? How could I not? <laughs> And um, yeah, so I I went for alfajor and uh, and coffee, and then I needed that moment that I came up with a uh, with idea of of writing this uh, kind of gratitude letter. I also talk about it uh, uh, on some of the other episodes, and uh, and that kind of get me back into. <laughs> I wanted to say back in the game, but I don't know what game I was in. Yeah, but, in um, life. Game of they got me back on the at this game of Latin America. Let's let's play this way. Um, yeah, but I also don't think that I do it uh, all the time. But I do, you know. I I think that also the grief taught me um, just to allow yourself. You know, it was really hard to wake up, for example, in some parts after this diet, and sometimes it would take me two hours to get out of the bed, and. Uh, which I kind of, you know, I think I was even a little bit like based, like well, why is it take like, but then I was like, no, I just needed it, so I'm just I was gonna be in this bed as long as I need to. Uh, I will eventually get uh, out, but if I get out an hour earlier, hour late, who cares, you know? Like if I come half an hour later to work or or whatever, I don't do something, you know. What's more important than taking care of myself right now? So I think that 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 uh, I think that that experience really kind of taught me to to take better care of myself. Thank you for sharing. Um, that that was a I think a beautiful way to put it as well. And speaking through your experience, and I I I can relate to part of what you said when you were saying that you know things weren't necessarily going your way, and you're like, you know what, I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to just fly back. I can relate to that. And I find those moments 
whenever I'll be in that moment again, the type of questions that I'll be asking myself are, where is your frustration coming from? Mm. Why are you ready to give up? Because really it's coming from fear. It's coming from some type of insecurity for myself. I, that's, that's how I know myself. It's coming from fear. Mm. Um, and again, control theme, lack of control. But what happens if you just choose to trust that everything is happening exactly when and how it's supposed to? What, what happens if, if you just trust, trust life, trust the path that you're on, just trust what can, what is within your control? You know, what can, as opposed to giving up, because you literally don't know what's on the, on the other side. You have no idea. So you're already here. Why would you give up? Those are the types of questions that I'm going to start asking myself when I get to these points where I'm frustrated, where I feel like I want to give up. Right now in Vancouver, Mm. Um, I'm having more anxiety because of work, the stress of work, the financials and living here on my own, being away from, from work. But it's also stemming from the fact that at times I feel very lonely in Vancouver right now. Mm. Um, I don't have a huge circle of friends. Um, my family is hours away. We're on a different time zone. Like it's, it's, it's tough. It's really hard. And I've had the thought of, Carrie, do you just want to, quit, you know, break your lease and, and go back to Toronto and be at home? Or do you just want to finish the lease out, you know, next, next end of July, pack up your things and just go back to Toronto? Those thoughts have crept up on me. And part of me, part of me is like, well, I, I, I can't wait to go back to home for the holidays in December and just not be in this mess and in this environment that, that feels so draining where I feel a little powerless. And when I feel like I'm not enough and I feel like I'm I'm almost a fraud at work and I don't see what they saw in me. Why did they hire me? Why did they give me the position? You know, I have these negative thoughts that come through my mind sometimes. And I, mm. I know that it's fears and insecurities that are taking over. And it has to do with the fact that I feel so alone sometimes. And, you know, I'm in my apartment and I see these walls all the time and it's, it really affects my mental health. But at the same time, it's one of the reasons why I'm so happy. And I reconnect it with, the dancing it's a distraction yes because while when i go out dancing i'm not necessarily sitting down within myself and understanding like doing the work internally however it's also a very good distraction for me because like i said earlier dancing brings me joy mm. um i find that with salsa i'm not in my head as much as i am with kizomba which is another style of dance that i started i picked mm. up here um but i went out to dance salsa on friday night I thought, you know, I went out, it was probably 10. I thought I'd probably be home by midnight. It was close to my house. It's like, maybe I'll stay for two hours. A few other people that I know that, that are in my dance class were also going. And I ended up staying until like 3 a.m. At some point in time during the evening, I allowed myself to just, you know what? Yes, you're going to mess up. You're going to make mistakes. Most people here are excellent dancers, but it's okay. People don't actually care about you like that. People don't know you. People aren't staring at you judging you and even if they are what difference does it make you don't even know these people allow yourself to just feel the moment be free just enjoy it from what it is and i had so much fun um that i decided to go out the saturday night and another student in the class a friend of mine i told her about it and she was she was up for it she was like let's do it let's go so we went out last night and it was a salsa and bachata kind of event 
And again, we stayed pretty much till the end. And I've been in such lighter, a lighter mood this weekend just because of like the dancing and allowing myself to just vibe. So when these negative thoughts come and they do creep up on me, because again, control, anxiety, loneliness in Vancouver right now are recurrent mm-hmm. for me, themes for me right now. Um, but I'm, I'm developing tools and techniques and mechanisms to counter them. So journaling connecting with people with my family and my sister mm. talking to her more often speaking up actually saying it like i feel lonely i feel alone i think i need help or whatever the case may be telling people in my entourage it's hard but it helps and mm. um reconnecting with my passions like art music dancing making time to be outside near the water um because i'm right next to to like a nice ocean front. And so actually going for walks when the sun is up and just doing some of these things that, that, that'll help me quiet those negative voices a lot more than I, I had been able to before. Yeah. I am. Um, I think I have two thoughts. The first one is, you know, you said, yeah, being kind of free to, to allow yourself to, to, to just be flawed, which by the way, I don't know, if you, but like as a kid, I didn't give a crap about what other people are thinking when I was like learning to, I don't know, skate or do something, you know, mm. I was just doing it. <laughs> like I wanted to get better. That was it. There's nothing else. And the funny thing is, um, they asked you were talking about it. You know, I was thinking, yeah, but the weird people, like when you think of, like sometimes when you think you're weird, like a lot of other people think that you're the courageous one. No, like I was doing uh, yoga in this hostel, like, and I somehow end up in a in a breakfast doing host uh, doing yoga. It wasn't my intention, like, but like there was no other space, and I started, and then suddenly the breakfast started. And I didn't think about the breakfast because I wasn't eating it, and I felt like in between, like, this is weird, man. <laughs> People must think like I'm real fucking weirdo, like doing here like <laughs> yoga. And then, you know, like a couple of different people like told me like, man, you, I saw you doing yoga every day. Like even at the breakfast, I was like, man, I should have been doing yoga, you know? <laughs> and you're like, ah, okay. <laughs> That's like what I thought other people think about <laughs> what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I even, even connects, there's this video of um, like one of the shortest TED talk, which is about this, this guy on a hill who kind of really dances and then all other people start following and it's called first follower. And it's basically, he's a leader. He's kind of doing his weird dance in this festival on the hill. And then suddenly like one guy joined him and then two, three, four. And then suddenly everybody on the hill is basically dancing because this guy started to dance. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, he was definitely, you know, like kind of weird, but I was also somebody who thought like, Hey man, what a courage that this guy stands up and dance. Like I would want mm-hmm. dance too, but just don't have the balls to do it as first person. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, that was, uh, I, I love that story, um, about the guy dancing on the hill. Um, and the example that she said, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't really care with what, what people thought. And I was thinking back to myself and I was like, well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't in the sense that, yeah, when I was learning to ride a bike, ride a bike, 
I didn't really care that all my friends were watching. I just wanted to get it so hard. I just wanted to get to be at two on, on my two wheels, no more training mm. wheels. That's, that was my goal. That's what, and that's what I was focused on. And it didn't really matter what everybody else was doing as long as I got it. And t- learning English as well. English, French is my mother tongue. English mm. is my second language. And I remember when we moved to Ottawa, all the kids on my street, because I was born in Montreal, all the kids on my street, you know, they, they used to speak English so fluently, so flawlessly. And I used to hear my, my French accent when I spoke in English. It was so like, so loud. And I was like, I, I don't want that. I, I want to speak English in a way that nobody will be able to tell that English isn't my first language. And that's mm-hmm. like a goal that I told myself. I must have been like six or seven. And I was like, that's my goal. And I stuck to it. And I don't even know how I remember. I, I, I believed it so hard. Um, but then the flip side is at home, as I was saying before, like perfection. You need to have the best grades. You need to always be look pr- pr- uh, proper when you're stepping outside, not a hair out of place. And, you know, I want my friends, well, my friends, I want an entourage. That wasn't coming from me. It was coming from, you know, my caregivers, my parents, but like, you have to be an example, a model, you know, I like when, when friends compliment my kids, I feel good. So you need to be perfect. Right. And, and so I had a bit of both growing up. And I think in my teenage years, I let the whole, you always have to be perfect, take precedence over, nah, this is your goal. And it doesn't really matter what people think of you. You don't need to be liked by people. You just need to achieve your goal. That took precedence. And I feel like now I'm in a place where the scales are kind of tipping over again, um, where I want to, I'm struggling with it, but I want to make it to a place where my goals are what's important. And I'm seeing it through dance where the mm. scales are tipping. And as you were speaking about the man on the mountain, what I was thinking was, you might see yourself a certain way. Like in Argentina, I saw myself a certain way. I was just doing carry. I was just doing me. I was just, you know, showing up authentically, which is what I strive to do all the time anyways. But I felt like people at the language school and my students, they really appreciated me. And they're like, Carrie, you're so cool. And I was like, I'm just being me. I'm, I'm not even trying to do anything. You know, I just, I mean, I, thank you for thinking I'm cool. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> and it just brings me back to the thought that you never know how you're actually impacting people. You know, how you view yourself, I'm sure nine times out of 10 is not how people see you. Um, oh, yeah. Right? And so I think that's something that I need to remind myself of as well. While I'm being so hard on myself, while, while I'm seeing all the, the flaws and the defects and everything that's wrong, people are probably seeing me like, damn, Carrie's so courageous. She picked up and she moved to Vancouver on her own. Like she was in South America for six months, didn't even know anybody. She just got on a plane and left. <laughs> like Carrie's allowing herself to live in her best life in her truth. And that's really cool. Maybe I, I want to start traveling too. Like I've had friends who have told me, I love what you're doing. And like, I want to be traveling too. I want to follow my, you know, whatever brings me joy as well. Like you're inspiring me. And somehow those aren't the voices that I'm listening to. I'm listening to mm-hmm. your negative comments inside my head. So that's a nice balancing exercise that I need to perfect, that I need to get better at. Don't be so hard on yourself and you don't know who you're actually impacting just by being your authentic self. Oh yeah, you know, I, I when I was writing these gratitude letters, I I wrote to a lot of people who, who changed my life or inspired me a certain way, and a lot of the comments that I got, like I didn't know that this particular moment or these things that we experienced or what something I said had such an impact on me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's that's because we don't talk about it that much, you know. Mm-hmm. How often somebody comes to you and tell you, you know, you said this thing and it changed my life, and now I change. This is why I became a firefighter or whatever, you know. Like that's not something that it's like very common. Like it happens, but very rarely, you know. It's not something that comes happens every day or something like that. And I think we influence people's lives, like other people's lives, more than we think sometimes. Mm-hmm. No, often we think that we think like I, mean, I just said something like I don't even remember that I said it. You know, <laughs> then because that that's the conversation I had this morning with my friend. You know, and it's yeah. like I don't even remember that conversation, and you always bring it up, man. And I, and I was like wondering like why I thought that. You know, I don't even remember why I thought. Yeah, that. And yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, I was ch- I can't remember who the person was, but I was speaking to someone recently, and the person said. I don't even think my fourth grade teacher understands how that comment they made shaped my life moving forward, like shaped a lot of the decisions that I made for myself. Fourth grade teacher, the person said, I'm trying to remember who it was and what the conversation was about, but is like that one comment pretty much just shaped how I made decisions moving forward. And exactly to your point, it's you listen, <laughs> you don't you really don't know how you might be impacting people around you. I think that's probably why it's so important for us to just always be, think and act from a place of authenticity, just not trying to be anybody else but ourselves because yeah, when you're not trying to fake or there is already another someone else. There's nobody like you. There's literally no one like mm-hmm. you. So why try to fit into a mold that you didn't even create in the first place? Fit into the mold of you. Like and that's that's something that I believe more and more, more and more as I grow older. Because in high school, listen, I was insecure. In high school, I just wanted to belong and to fit in, and I felt so odd and different. I didn't like most of the things that my group of friends liked, but it was a group of friends that I felt like I, I was supposed to fit into because we mm. were all, you know, we were the. Not that I want to bring race into it again, but you know, the black kids. We were the Haitian clique. And, you know, I'm Haitian, so I'm supposed to like everything that they like, and I'm supposed to like the music that they like, and I'm, I'm in band. I'm already, mm. I'm like a geek enough because I'm in band. I can't hang out with band people. Like, I, those are all the thoughts that are gro- crossing my mind. And I'm thinking back to it today, and I'm like, I feel bad for teenage care because there's so many opportunities that you let fly by just because you cared so much about what people would think and fitting in, right? Yeah. So like, Let's try to do things differently. You're not a teenager anymore. Let's, let's be authentic now. Are there any um, any moments like uh, you know we talk about this uh, this fourth grade teacher who said something and then it's kind of shaped this person's life? Are there for you any moments on this uh, journey of Gary following her calling from being this uh, Gary who are just doing uh, things uh, <laughs> to belong? Maybe two things, uh, mm. two comments, and they were like later in life, so more in more recent years. But in in 2016, I can't remember if it was before or after I came back. But uh, a coworker of mine, who really was a friend, we became really close friends. Um, she uh, she took me aside one day and she was like, "Listen, either you've gone or you've come back from Thailand. Don't listen to people. I just need you to know this." Don't listen to people who tell you, oh my gosh, you're so lucky you went to Thailand or you're going to Thailand, you're taking this career break, you're so lucky. Don't listen to them. Don't let 
don't 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 take that in don't internalize that because you're not lucky you made a decision okay you went up to your boss you said i'd like to take a leave of absence you put the gears in motion those were concrete actions concrete steps that you took in order to make a reality a dream of yours reality something that you wanted to see happen actually happen so people have the same opportunities, people have the same abilities, they could do the same thing. If really it was that important to them, they could do it. So don't ever downplay the work that you did in order to achieve what you wanted for yourself. Um, that really resonated a lot with me because I heard those comments and I still hear them. Oh my gosh, you're so lucky. I wish I wish I could travel. I wish I could do this. I, w- I And it's like, no, but you can you just need to prioritize what's actually important to you. It's not about luck. It's about being intentional. Um, that's one thing. Mm. And then the second thing is, while I was in Argentina, I met uh, uh, a friend of mine, actually, we're still very close today. And she was like, Carrie, I don't think you realize like how dope you are. And, and I, I sound really conceited and really self-absorbed right now, but hear me out, hear me out. <laughs> she was like, I don't think you realize how cool you are because I see you go, you know, you're here in Argentina. It's not your country. It's not, you know, your background. It's not, but you're doing things that you enjoy doing. You're putting yourself out there. You're striking conversations with complete strangers, putting yourself out there. Like, and she's like, to be honest, that's really like that. I, it's empowering for me because I've been here for about a year now. She, she was, it was her and her husband. Her husband mm. is from Argentina. She's like, I've been here for about a year now and I, I haven't made as many connections as maybe I could have had. And every time I talk to you, you're going to an event or you're doing an activity or you're meeting someone new or you've got this new friend. And she's like, girl, I'm just trying to live my best life. Like, and you're inspiring to me right now. So I, I, I don't want you to downplay how much you're, you're making things happen for yourself. And you're living this experience to the fullest. And I'm proud of you for doing that. And I just need you to be proud of yourself as well. Like, realize that you're doing this. You're doing it. It's not just randomly happening. So, and that that was very, very heartwarming to hear. Um, I don't even know at which point in time I, I became intentional about creating experiences for me and not just staying stuck in my apartment that I had rented in, in Palermo and just, you know, sticking... To, sticking to myself um so giving myself more credit i guess is the common theme between those two conversations that i had with different friends at different points in time but yeah those those really resonated with me actually yeah that's a interesting view of uh interesting way of looking at things i guess you know because i'm I always like people are like what what are you gonna do you know what's gonna so you're gonna travel and what else do you do you know <laughs> and i never thought about it like well that's already what i'm doing you know mm-hmm. well, i kind of thought about it but i never thought about it like that actually comes with some work and with some decisions and with some actions yes. uh you know to be here and to go around uh, the buses don't book themselves the accommodation either the conversation exactly. doesn't strike themselves exactly yeah very, very true. And I find that if if people come at you in that light or they ask those types of questions, in a sense, it's projection um, because they project their own expectations of what your time abroad or your journey or your trip should be about onto you. Um, and I, 
I mean, I don't think people do it intentionally, but at the same time, I think to myself, it's not my job to carry your, your insecurities or your fears. It, it's, it's not my job. Yes, I'm going to do this for myself and I'll figure it out along the way. But I, you know, I appreciate your concern for me, but I don't need to carry that worry that you seemingly carry or those questions that you seemingly have. I trust in myself that I'll figure it out along the way. So thank you. But I choose, I respectfully choose not to take on that load. It's not mine to hold. Yeah, makes sense. Hmm. So we talk about a uh, little bit, we touch on the family. We uh, touch on your move to from Toronto to Vancouver, your time mm-hmm. in Argentina, tiny bit on the time in Thailand. Mm-hmm. What else were the important uh, m- moments for for you for you to fight your uh, your uh, your trust in yourself to to follow your calling? I would call it this way. Um, my first relationship, the one I, I referred to before, twelve years, mm-hmm. high school sweetheart. Um, we got married in like within ten years, eleven years of, of mm-hmm. dating. We got married and. Not long after we got married, we separated. And um, this is a multi-layer one. So mm. I guess first level or first layer is I, uh, he's, he's just caveat. He's a beautiful human being, a beautiful person. Very, he, he's, a, he's a genuinely beautiful person. Mm. And, but I knew by the time he proposed, I already knew something was off for me. By the time we got married, I already knew internally, if I'm being honest with myself, I knew I did not want to get married. However, I didn't felt that I had the right. I didn't feel like I had the support to not go through with it. It might sound crazy. What do you mean you don't feel like you have the right to not get married? <laughs> But, you know, I, anytime... When I did turn for advice, and I didn't necessarily turn to advice in the right places, to the right people, but when I did turn for advice, and you know, I'm having doubts, I'm not sure, um, the, what I was met with was often, listen, you're not a kid anymore, you're not a teenager, you're about to, you're a grown woman, you're about to be married, like, keep your head straight. Or um, another comment that I heard was, well, I've got a lot of people already spending money to come to this wedding so whatever decision you need to make oh my make god that's a, that's such a <laughs> that's a horrible oh my that's horrible on so many levels okay sorry um i turned i turned to him before the wedding i turned to him and i told him you know i don't think i feel like i want to call this off i don't think i want to go through with it with it and at the time he just thought it was cold feet so he was like carry whatever you need to do just do it like you know it, I don't think he was seeing where I was coming from. I'm not going to sit here and say that I didn't have people who I had two people in particular, one coworker who was very close to me, like in the, within the work context. And another one was a friend of mine. And both of them, both of them told me, Carrie, you don't have to do this. If you don't want to do it, you don't have, it's okay. You don't have to. However, I felt like at the time their voices, they weren't as close to me as the other people I had turned to, right? And it's not that their voices weren't important. They, did, they just didn't have as much weight. So um, I, I chose to go through with the wedding, um, but I, I already knew, you know. So anyways, fast forward, like 
within the first year of the marriage, we separated. And um, one of my fears was, well, what are people going to think? What are people going to say? Because we were both very much so in like a, a religious content. R- religion played a big, big part in our lives. Um, and I was like, you know, it's against the Bible. It's against, you're not supposed to get divorced. And um, even if you do get divorced, even if there is, you know, the one, I think the one reason is infidelity. If there's infidelity, you can even if there is infidelity, you're technically not supposed to remarry. And it's, it's so like difficult and people are going to judge and they're going to shun me. And they're going to be like, I can't believe you chose to go through a separation and yada, yada, yada. And, um, the one friend, one of the two people who was like, no, it's okay if you don't go through with it. She was by my side throughout the whole thing. And afterwards she was like, you know, it took a lot of courage to walk away from something that you inherently knew you didn't necessarily want in that way, but that you felt you had to do for family, for religion, for society, because you had been together for 11, 12 years. Like it's the next logical step. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to want to get married and then start a family and have children, buy a home. Like that's, that's the path, right? That's what you're supposed to do. That's what everybody does. So it takes a lot of courage to walk away from that. And you need to keep that in mind. And I think that was a major event in my life, obviously. Um, but it was also a major stepping stone towards listening to myself more. Because if I hadn't gone through the wedding, yes, it would have been difficult to tell. I definitely would have lost friends. I, I definitely would have lost friends. People definitely would have been talking about me. My reputation and my family's reputation might have been tainted. But in hindsight, th- these things still happened. <laughs> they still mm. happened. So what difference would I have made if I had just listened to myself sooner other than not breaking his heart, um, not getting married. And so still, still, it doesn't change anything for me anyways today. I don't consider myself religious. I consider myself spiritual today. And there's a very, very big distinction. However, um, Mm -hmm. for him, he's a very religious person and being married once is he, I'm, I'm pretty sure he sees it as a stain you know, on his life record, it's a stain. Mm. And he wouldn't have had that had I listened to myself more. And I realized saying this, that I'm, I'm taking a lot of the ownership on myself, a lot of the responsibility on me and solely on me. And that's always how I am. And I know that I'm very hard with myself. Um, but I'm not going to downplay the fact that I didn't have to get married. I chose to. I chose to do it and I chose to separate as well. Mm. So that was definitely an important event in um listening to myself more yeah because you know you said like um you know listening to other people that yes. uh, that kind of were advising you on what to do with this situation they definitely yes. always play a role because they also say we are what uh, the five people we hang out most with right and definitely that i think that i can see it in some way in my life as well um mm-hmm. but then then you said like you need to have courage yourself because you need to listen to yourself right Mm-hmm. Uh, and for that you need the courage that's what i actually wrote uh, down here uh that courage because that takes mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of balls man uh, it's not easy yeah yeah wow um it was definitely after we chose to go separate ways it was it was definitely a hard time definitely a hard time and i think it's also one of the reasons why i jumped into the next relationship as opposed to facing my demons and taking the time to really assess what had happened and why things happened the way they did. It was easier to just focus on on someone else 
Um, I don't want to call him a rebound guy. That's that's not what I'm going to call him. However, it was a good, he was, that relationship was a good distraction to actually facing my demons. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I'm, I'm not going to focus on the past. I've got something new, right? So I'm, I'm going to focus on making that better. But <laughs> if you, if you, there's a saying in, in, in Creole, it goes, lave me siate. It's like, you wash your hands, but then you dry them on the floor. <laughs> like, what, what kind of saying is this? It, well, basically, what it means is... I love it. It's, it's, it's useless. It's a useless endeavor, right? Yeah, so yeah, jumping yeah. into the next relationship is a useless endeavor. You're not actually bettering yourself. You're just bringing the old problems into a new context. <laughs> Right. So <laughs> <laughs> you wash your hands, but you dry them on the floor. Okay, I'm yeah. gonna remember this one. <laughs> this is so funny. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, I I love these. Uh, I love uh, these weird sayings in in, in every language. In other languages, yeah. There's this one in uh, in Swedish. I think they say something. And maybe I don't get it completely right, but it's something like you are sliding here on a shrimp sandwich. Because it's what? a very equitarian uh, society, and so when mm-hmm. kind of somebody comes, like a little bit, I don't know, you stupid example, you you drove into the party in Lamborghini, and they're like, "Are you sliding here on a shrimp sandwich?" You know, <laughs> trying to be fancy, like uh, that you are something better than us, that you can have shrimps, basically, so, something like that. I love it. I loved it. It's That's so, so interesting. I had so, so, never so heard weird. that before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, sorry, but I I I, I got uh, I got us away a little bit about um, courage of uh, going through it, and then uh, then then you were then there was the distraction. But I also had another question, and I was like, mm-hmm. you know, this what this like has been freaking difficult thing. Like walk away from something, you know, relationship that long, the marriage, and and in your situation. You know, mm-hmm. that's a pretty difficult and bold thing to do. Do you think that that's also what's kind of driving you forward to to be able to do all these other things? Like, do the do the deci- do the other decisions for yourself because of it gets easier? Is I guess the the, the thing that I'm thinking about. Just just to make sure that I understand your question correctly, are you saying the fact that I had to go through? that period and make make that kind of call for myself does that make it easier moving forward to make difficult decisions or decisions for myself yeah very much because uh now you kind of know that you have survived that so yeah um i guess in a sense the decisions are are never easy well especially when your decisions impact other people it's Mm. never easy it's never easy but i think Seeing how things played out with my marriage and how I got into it, how I got out of it, why I got into it, why I got out of it, um, and the advice around me that I listened to, that I chose to listen to, because it wasn't the only advice given to me, but it's what I chose to listen to, and how it wasn't always beneficial for me, it wasn't really what I wanted to do, like just looking at all of that and analyzing all of that, it makes me realize um, that at the end of the day, no, no, and we say it all the time, but it's true. Nobody's going to live your life for you. Mm. So when you need to make a decision 
it might not be what's best for others, but are you hurting anyone? Are you damaging, you know, are your actions um, morally wrong, damaging, ethically wrong? At the end of the day, you have to put on your own masks, your own masks before you can help anyone else. That's what they always tell you on the plane, right? Put on your own oxygen masks before mm. you help others. And if my cup is empty, if I'm not making sure that I'm good and I'm not making sure that I'm making the right calls for me, that I'm not setting my boundaries appropriately and that I'm not making sure that I'm okay, how the hell am I supposed to show up for anyone else? Anyone else? And when you think about it, you know, what brings meaning to life is being of service to others. Like, that's what brings meaning to life, like the human interactions, the social interaction that we have with one another. So if I'm not making sure that I'm in a headspace where I'm good and I can show up for others, give my time, give my energy to help others, then, then what good is it? So yes, in a sense, having to do or make that really tough decision, it's, it's a muscle that I started flexing, making tough decisions or making decisions that benefit me in a way that um, I can show up in a sustainable way for people mm-hmm. afterwards. What did you, what, what comes to mind? Because <laughs> I feel like I'm talking a lot and I, I get that, you know, conversation is all about talking. But I guess my question for you is what comes to mind when you, when you hear this? What are the first thoughts that cross your mind? Mm, you mean the, these last few minutes or these last two hours? Because <laughs> there's a difference. Well, actually both. The, these last few minutes and then these last few hours. Yeah, it's, wow, it's been two hours. <laughs> yeah, time flies by. Um <laughs> No, I think it's a, it's a interesting to see how um, the, the the involvement of life. It's, what a story, you know, um, <laughs> and something that 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 kind of goes back to all the other places is you know the courage, uh, you know, do what you want to do, uh, trust. Like uh, tr- you said, mm-hmm. the trust to life. I mean. Some people didn't say it exactly in in you know in the in the in the in the podcast, but you know if you fly over to uh, other countries with the last money that you have, like actually across the world, uh, which happened to Jay in the previous episode, uh, to go for an interview, <laughs> there must have been some fucking either you are <laughs> you are really crazy, yeah. or there must have been some some trust. But he said it, you know, like I felt it, like this is what I need to do, and. Um, so I think that's 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 the other thing, and the courage to to listen to yourself, um, and also appreciating the the actions. You know, that's something mm-hmm. that I'm taking out uh, of it. These were the, the the things that flew right now through my uh, through You're my crossing head. your mind. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's that's really cool. I think something that's coming up for me, though, as we're discussing is, and I, I've had this conversation with a friend of, of mine or mm. two, is in my way of seeing my life, my perception of it anyways, there's a fine line between being selfish and um, being selfish and, and acting in a way to take care of myself. Like, how can I put this? Necessity and selfish, selfish, selfishness. There's a fine line between the two. But when I spoke to my friend, basically her question to me was, well, what do you consider selfish? When you think of taking time for yourself, how do you define selfishness? 
basically what is your def- what is your definition of it and it's still something that i struggle with because i know that whatever i end up doing it will be in a helping capacity helping helping others in some way shape or form in some capacity most likely to gain confidence reassurance um or realize their own potential just know that they are enough they are worthy they are you know they're perfectly imperfect it's it's most likely going to be in that sort of capacity however at the same time um i don't want the responsibility of somebody else's journey somebody else's path someone else turning mm-hmm. to to make decisions for them i don't want that i don't want that anywhere near me um i'm all for being a like a sounding board but I don't want you to give that power to me or to put that responsibility on me, rather. Um, and right now, it's all about defining my boundaries and speaking and voicing my boundaries as well in a respectful but very clear way. Um, I think that's the big topic of the hour for me. And it goes back to selfishness versus, you know, doing things out of necessity. I guess that's the best way for me to put it. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm thinking like, I think I sometimes went to people to like, Hey, I have this uh, decision. I cannot make it help me basically do it. You know, mm-hmm. outsourcing the rest. I think that I was maybe outsourcing the responsibility in some way. Maybe it's mm-hmm. a weird to say for somebody who did so many crazy, <laughs> crazy responsibilities. Uh, I, in the end, like I take the responsibility. I do the decisions. But sometimes when I'm when I'm overwhelmed, I, I kind of sometimes want to just like just do the decision, you know, like whatever, whatever. Just yeah, get, get me out of this. Uh... So that's that's interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll have to think about it a little bit more. And the other thing is, um, there's this book called Give and Take from um, Adam Grant, and he basically is a, a professor at the Wharton School of uh, Business in Philly. And um, he basically put people in three buckets. Uh, one are givers. So there are people who, like, you c- they come to you and they like, oh, you want a coffee? You want to help with this? They, they just provide you with things, but they don't want anything back. Like, that's mm-hmm. not the reason why they're doing it. Then there is, like, uh, matchers, who are basically people who, I buy you beer today, Kerry, uh, but I kind of expect you that next time we go out, mm-hmm. you buy me a beer. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. they, they, they like to have this, this balance. And not just mm-hmm. like, so they are in a balance, but also if if you buy them beer, they maybe even feel a little bit obliged to buy you beer as well. So yes. they like to have these things in balance. And then they are takers. They are basically people who, they, that's what selfishness is, I think, for me. You know, they are people who always do things with regards they're going to get something out of it. They basically would never do something while well, it's not, like somebody's completely t- taker, probably there is some like scale, right? But mm. they are basically people who most of the time when they act, they act on, I'm going to do something because I think it's going to benefit my situation. Now, the fun thing that they did is that they took uh, doctors, uh, engineers, and I think salespeople at some mm. companies and they run experiments with them. Basically, there's a questionnaire that kind of put you in one of these three categories. Mm-hmm. And they were looking at who are the people who are most successful in what they do? So for salespeople, who sells the most? For doctors, who gets the best result and less complaints or something like that? 
um, for engineers who can solve the most problems. I don't mm-hmm. remember what exactly these things are, but I think people can definitely find out if they're interested. It's in the book as well. And who do you think was the people who had the best result, like objectively the- measured in these three uh, different vocations? I, I want to say the givers. That's yes. who I want to say. I want to say the givers. I- and you're and you're right, and you know who was the worst? I would uh, no. I want to say the takers, but I'm not sure. No, uh, <laughs> it's it's not the takers, right? It's also the givers. Really? Now, that's interesting, right? You have this this category, and the people are either the best or the worst. Um, and actually, the the whole book is about it. Uh, um, but in a nutshell, it came down to the fact that the givers who are really on the bottom, so they are not performing well, are people who just like give away everything. They they always help people. Um, there there is this anecdote mm. when they uh, there's this guy who kind of he's rich, so he gives his money, then he gives away his house, then he gives away his clothes, then he gives away his uh, his organs. Basically, dies giving away things, but that's not sustainable. You know, mm-hmm. so you can only give away for so long until you kind of you have nothing, have nothing more to, to give. give. Yeah, um, and the difference is that that the givers on top they kind of have a purpose. They do it with I don't know, like uh, th- let's say there was a teacher who was helping people on a, an SATs. It's called right the the exam mm-hmm. that you have to take in the US. So they was helping mm-hmm. the, the people on SATs, and he saw the results immediately because they were taking the cities. So they was giving them energy and it was giving the energy that he put put, put back to the teaching. Um, so there, there is some purpose, right? Because you can't save everybody. Um, like the, There's so many hard discussion in a way. I don't know if you had this discussion when you travel around South America, but it's basically there's always somebody coming and asking you for money, right? Okay, so what do you do? Do you give them the money? But you can give money to everybody, you know? Uh, I'm also like, okay, I have money in comparison to them, but if I give them money, I run out of money for traveling in the next month. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you how do you treat that? And it's very hard to do it, I think, unless you have, unless you are when you're a very giving person, <laughs> it's very hard to do it unless you have some purpose. Like, I want to focus on this because that that kind of says what brings me more energy, kind of refills the the tank, so I can give away again. I think that that's how, how how they explained it in the book, at least, right? Interesting. I had a, a conversation with a friend of mine recently, actually, my cousin, and um, our relationship. So we, he's actually my godbrother, my my my, my god, my mother's godbrother. Anyways, um, mm. we, I knew him when I was a child. He's a few years older than me. I knew him when I was a child. And but we were never really close like that because I think he's like four or five years older than me. So when I was like five, six, going to his house, he's like nine, ten. Um, so we were never really close like that growing up. Um, mm. And we kind of lost touch, but we reconnected when I moved back to Vancouver. In some weird way, we reconnected. And when we started talking, I have seen a lot of growth in him just in the last few months that we've been talking. Um, and he's really he's really doing work on himself, you know, work to improve himself and be more aware of himself as well. And 
we had a conversation at some point in time and I told him, um, people tend to turn to me a lot. I find that people tend to turn to me a lot for advice or help if they just want a sounding board. I find that people open up and trust me a lot, which I'm very, you know, thankful for and grateful that they see that in me and feel comfortable enough opening up to me. Um, But I also told him I'm at a point where I'm very selective in who I'll show up for because Mm. I... I will invest in you as an invest energy and time and attention, you know, but I'll only, I'll only want to do it if I can see that at some point you're willing to invest in yourself too. You can't dictate people's speed. You can't dictate people what they've got going on. You're, you're not to be a judge of how they're working on themselves. However, what I really appreciate about some of the people that come to me sometimes is that They'll come to me with their issues or problems. They'll turn to me. We'll chat. We'll speak. And then they're like, you know what? This is what I feel I, I should do for myself. Or next steps that I should do. Or what. And I appreciate that because oftentimes they actually put it into action for themselves. I'm just a sounding board. That's literally all I do. But if I make it a habit to make myself available to anyone and everyone, whenever something happens with no... Not expecting people to, in a sense, be, be accountable for themselves. Mm. Um, then I accept to take on your burden. And there's no, I don't say end date, but it's like I'm accepting to take it on indefinitely. That's, that's a thought that I've had recently. And, mm. um, and so I, I'm all for, you know, being there in time of need. If you need an, an, an ear, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but at some point in time, you also have to show up for yourself. And if you're not going to be doing that, then I'm not going to make myself as available. And unfortunately, that's a reality that I've actually had to put in practice with some of my family members. Yeah. And it's hard, but it's necessary because it, it comes down to the point of like self-preservation at some point. Makes total sense. Because, but it's like, even like for, for me, from a different kind of, different angle, you know, I, I've realized that I've been putting a lot of effort to certain relationship with my friends, certain friends, but it wasn't going, I wasn't getting it back, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think I'm more mindful of it as, uh, well, if you don't want to put it in, then I'm not going to do it either, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can try, you know? I, I also think, you know, there's, um, in this case, um, there are times when people have more or less energy to to kind of reciprocate. That's kind of part of the friendship. But if you try, if I try a few times, like I'm not gonna resent or anything like that. I'm just gonna stop doing it and gonna put that energy somewhere else, where it might be used better ways, right? And that's what I think connects with what you were saying because it's about finding the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm I'm more on the side when I am actually trying to approach where you are kind of getting getting something, right? Um, yeah. But it's all about boundaries. Um, and I think it's important because there is not an inf- infinite amount of resources you have as a person, right? Very true. Yes. In in a sense, it relates back to what I was telling you about um, the friend of mine that we were really, really close when we were in high school. And over time, we just kind of drifted apart, grew apart. That's also part also for me because I, I respect her as a person. I think she's really great. I, I love her. Um, but I also feel like I was more invested in that relationship 
than she was. And mm. that's not to say that it's something that's wrong, but that's something to say it's, I don't think it's sustainable. I yeah. can't carry a relationship on my own. There's two of us here. And mm. that's also a very big component of the breakdown of my marriage um, because for a lot of it, I had a lot on my shoulders. And with time, it just became too much. 12 years being with someone is not a small time, mm. especially when you're much younger. So it became too much. It became too heavy. And at some point, I was like, I want no part of it anymore. It's, it doesn't work for me. Um, and, and it's not to say that there weren't conversations leading up to it where I tried to voice, you know, or where, where I did voice that. I did. But at some point in time, when you're not being heard, it's like, okay, well, then I have to make the call. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, like, uh, one thing is to say, I have some boundaries. And the second thing is to kind of enforce them, right? Yes. Especially if, if you if you start doing it, because people are not used to it. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> very right? true. And I had another question uh, about this, because, uh, you know, you said that people are coming to you uh, to be the, the sounding board, basically. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that has something to do that you were kind of sounding board for your family, you know, when you were younger and that you kind of developed this behavior that make you actually good at it. So now it's kind of carry over to, yeah, but I guess both of your work and, and also the fact that people come to you as a sounding board. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting perspective. I think I heard something similar recently, which was, you know, you were, how can I put this? You have honed, so, sorry, I say you because I'm, I'm thinking back to the person who was speaking to me about this mm. specifically. She was telling me, you know, you have developed an external persona who does not necessarily correlate with who you want to be internally. And this external person is responsible, in charge. She, um, yes, shows up for others. Um, she takes on a lot of responsibility. But your internal persona, your internal, what it seems like is that internally, you don't want to have all this responsibility. You're not interested in it. You want nothing to do with it. Um, and so to your point, yes, I do think that um, in a sense, having to show up at home from a younger, from a younger age um, did hone my capability to do that. Um But if I make a link back to what I was saying about friendships and, and how I choose to show up for people, hmm. in that sense, I I almost I almost feel like I fall into the I'm thinking back to the book that you were telling me about as well, the three categories. I almost feel like I I fall in between the the giver and the middle category, which is give and take. I I that's what I'm thinking about because so if I think back to some of my family relationships, I'm thinking to like siblings, parents. And in a sense, I'm all for, you know what, you've got something going on, you can call me to talk about it. And with time, I've limited how much I make myself available for the issues between my mom and my sister, because both of them know what's going on. Both of them are actively choosing to turn to turn a blind eye and not address the situation. And so I, I limit how, I, how much I'll hear, how much I want to be available for that, how much I want to mm-hmm. be involved. I'll put down my phone. I'll, I'll literally say, you know what? Although I appreciate that you're struggling right now, I can listen to some extent, but um, we've made it to a point where I can't keep listening. I can't take any of it on. And so I don't mean to be rude, but I'd rather change the topic because at the end of the day, in this this part I don't say, but at the end of the day, none of them, they're not going to choose to do anything differently. So I'm not going to make myself available to that. 
taking mm-hmm. that on. Um, but at the same time, again, thinking to my family, to me, it's like, it's all good and great that I'm always available whenever you guys have something, you can pick up the phone and call Carrie and have Carrie, you know, walk you through something or listen to you while you vent or complain or if you need help. It's all good and great. How often do you actually check on Carrie? Like how, how, how do you show up for me? How do you, you know, when you call me and you're like, you, I just want to vent. I just want to get this off my chest. Do you actually ask me, you know, how was your day? Do you, how, how, what, 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 what frame of mind, state of mind are you in right now? Are you a- even able to receive what I'm coming at you with? Or do you just take for account, you, you just take it for granted. Well, Carrie's there, Carrie will take it. And, and so in that sense, I kind of feel like I, it has to do with boundaries, but it also, I feel it has to do with the give and take. I don't need my family to show up. That's not true. I don't expect my family to show up for me um, sometimes and how I show up for them because I know that they, to some extent, I don't think they, they can. I don't think they necessarily mm. see me as someone needing them to show up. And, and with time, I've grown to be okay with that. However, there is a certain minimal level that I expect them to keep in mind. To, And I've told both, it's mainly my mom and my sister, I've told both of them, you know, it would be nice if when you call me and you want to vent or talk about work or talk about friends or talk about boyfriends or talk about this, that, the other, it would be nice if you took a minute to ask about me too. Ask me how I'm doing. Ask me what's going on. I might not dive deep into details, but show me that you've got an interest for me too. I'm not just there to be used whenever you have a need because that doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a tough conversation to have, with, like especially with a parent or <laughs> For a sibling, but it's so necessary. It's so necessary. Yeah. Yeah, because some, I think sometimes people um, don't even realize, right, what you need. Um, it's not something like we think about uh, on the daily basis. Hey, what needs then? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, there's a lot of assumption behind it, right? Yes. Like, you know, I was talking to a, to a friend of mine, and I was like, yeah, you know, like people don't really reach out when I am traveling. And it's like, yeah, that's because they they think that uh, you're traveling and you have a time of your life, so you don't want to mm-hmm. talk to anybody. And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's the opposite way around, man. <laughs> I want to talk to people. <laughs> I don't say I always have time, but I, 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 yeah, I would love to talk to them. But it's, um, so yeah. And, and, and to your point, I, I hope I'm not, well, I hope, I'm pretty sure I have, painting my sister and my and my mom in like such a negative light because no, they really are lovely, lovely individuals. They really are. Um, and, and to add to what I was just saying, um, there's accountability on my end as well. It's not just about expecting them to want to ask about me and stuff like that. But if I don't voice my needs, how are they to know that mm. I don't think they're showing up for me? It's on me yeah. too. It's majorly on me. Yeah. True. L- a lot of fakes. A lot of things, yes, a lot. <laughs> That's how you know a conversation is good. Like, yeah. it just flows, you know. Well, I love the conversation. A lot of things <laughs> that I, 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 I will have to listen to. Well, no, I want to listen to it, and and I kind of have to to uh, to post produce it as well. Um, but I'm gonna enjoy it. Let's let re listen it. Right, let re listen. Yeah. Oof. Something like that. Listen to it Listen again. again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's easy. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yes. Um, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that we should touch upon? Uh, 
I don't feel like there's anything else that we haven't touched on or that, that crossed my mind. I was like, ooh, I want to talk about it and we didn't get to. Um, maybe the, the, the one thing that I'll add is, again, bring it back to people. There is a lot of beauty in sharing our lives and and allowing ourselves to be open and vulnerable and allowing people to show up for us in the same capacity that we'd be willing and ready to show up for people. That's, I think, something that I'm learning right now as well. Um, it's all good and great that I've always been very responsible and I've got this. I can handle myself. I can handle this, that, the other. I, but at the same time, just because you can do it doesn't mean you have to, right? doesn't mean you have to do all these things on your own. Allow people to show up for you in the same way that you know they allow you to show up for them. Just accept help, ask for it if you need it, be vulnerable. Those are hard things for me. However, there's a lot of beauty and strength in that. Yes, that's a whole another topic because uh, <laughs> I think, you know, um, yeah, for example, you know, like in, in a part of, of the grieving process, I I was really happy when people, when I could help people. But when they asked me like, I don't know, can you help me to put a picture on the wall? Or can you help me with writing a resume or something? Uh, it was actually helping me to help them, you know? And um, I think people underestimate it. I don't know. I, I think that we don't often, at least I don't, often... Um, ask for the help you know i feel like i can't like uh why 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 would i bother people with it uh but then on the other side if you don't share um when you need to help or when you struggle you kind of take away possibility of people to help you and then if you put yourself in your other shoes you know if your pet friend would be struggling would you not want to help him like i would want to have the possibility to help him i was speaking to my sister this morning and um, she, like, I'm I'm flying back to Toronto for the for for the holidays, so I'm gonna mm. be there from like late December to very early January. And I, um, we always, yeah, I don't think I've ever. No, that's not true. Last year was my very first Christmas without my family. I was here in Vancouver, um, but before that, I, I had always spent Christmas with at least my siblings, if not my siblings, my mom whole family and uh so this year i'm flying in for christmas but then for new year's my sister told me that she uh, wants to be back in toronto because we're, we're going to be traveling we're going to go to montreal uh, visit some family my grandma and all that but she was telling me how she wanted to be in toronto for new year's and when she said that i was like oh and i was a, a little hurt by it because i was like well this year you know i was in argentina for half the year so i didn't see my family and then I was in Toronto for four days in Ottawa for six days. And then I flew to Vancouver after not seeing anyone for six months. So it's been very isolating so far. And I was like, I, I would have loved to spend more time with her or, you know, be with her for New Year's. But at the same time, I was like, well, nobody asked me to go to Argentina. Nobody asked me to decide to go live in Vancouver. Those were my decisions to step away, to be far away. So I can't put my expectations or my want to needs or whatever on other people to carry that's not right you know you made mm. your calls deal with that and i was speaking to her this morning and um i just randomly told her i was like you know i i was i was hurt when you said that you wanted to spend new years with 
with your friends because I'm here thinking, where well, you, you've been with your friends all year. You've been with your friends for your birthday. You've been with your friends going on cottages and going to parties and going to Russia. You see your friends all the time. I didn't get to see you much this year, you know, and I would have liked to spend New Year's with you for you to stay a little longer in whichever city that I'll be in. But, you know, I, I'm not going to put that on you. And she was like, well, because I was like, I, I, I miss you and I wish that we could spend more time together, but it is what it is. And she was like, well, you know, thank you for sharing. Why didn't you just say so? And I was like, well, I can't put that on you. She's like, I understand. But, you know, you you telling me I wish you would spend more time with me. It's it's easy for me to shift things around and reprioritize because I do want to be there and show up for you if, if that's something that mm. you're expressing. So why don't you just tell me these things as opposed to just making assumptions for me and keeping it in? Mm. Right. And I was like, well, I can commit to being more communicative. And um, if I feel these things or when I feel these things, just just let you know and let you make whatever call is best for you and not taking it personal as well. I can work on that. Um, and so, yeah, that conversation with my sister this morning was 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 a good. She called me out on something. So <laughs> it was good. that's a that's a be- that's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. Uh, and you know, I think it's, it also comes down to voicing your needs and your feelings doesn't mean that you always expect that they're going to be met. That's know? true. Like, even like when I, talk, I sometimes tell my friends like I'm a lot more than I used to right now. Yeah, you know, like when this and this happened, I felt this. Mm-hmm. I don't expect them to do anything about it. <laughs> I just want to share it. You know, I just want them to know. Yeah. And um, yeah, and sometimes people like, um, well, well, we are guys, so we always have our so- problem solution, you know, most, most of the time. So we're mm-hmm. like, yeah, but uh, what about now? <laughs> uh, but even with the needs, you know, it's like, I don't know if you say, I like Italian food. It doesn't mean that, <laughs> that you're expecting that everybody's going to eat Italian, right? Just you saying it, like, and then uh, there that, that can be a discussion about it. Uh, which if you never say it, then you're expecting luck to to take your life, right? Well, it, it 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 leads me to questioning or asking the question. You know, why do we shy away from sharing sometimes those needs that we have? And I think part of it is also the deception or the ego being bruised. You know, if I don't say something, then I won't be deceived. And if I'm not deceived, well, then my ego is not taking a hit, so it's you know better. <laughs> that way so and i i completely agree with you i think we all collectively need to do some major work on um communicating these things and not having the expectations that just because we communicate it means that it's going to be met but at the same time also when it's not being met still being okay with that not being embarrassed or ashamed or having an ego bruise that's going to make us change our behavior with x y and z just it's part of life things don't always go your way take it in strides you know push through, move forward. So I think that's also something that we need to work on as a collective and personally for myself as well. Mm. A lot of things to work on. (laughs) Well, that's the one thing about life and growth. I don't think the work ever stops. (laughs) I think it ever ends. I just wanted to, I I think I could close this with a perfect quote uh, from uh, from a movie that I watched. It's called Stutz. Just was released on Netflix. It's about this uh, psychiatrist 
yeah, psychiatrist or therapist, whatever, from uh, US. And um, <laughs> and he said there is uh, only only one thing is certain, and that's that there is always pain, always uncertainty, and always more work to do. <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Very, very true. Especially that always, always more work to be done. Definitely that part. <laughs> uh, the other two, too. For sure, you know? I mean, the other two as well. Yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> it's less comfortable to know. <laughs> it's less uh, comfortable it's to know. <laughs> it's easier to just focus on the third one. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, but with that, when we talk about work, I have this one question that I always ask. What is the one thing, one, one concrete action that people can take next week uh, if they feel kind of lost or, or stuck in their life? If you don't know what to do, if you feel stuck, um, go walking near water. So it's not, <laughs> it's not like a super huge decisive action, do this, but in a sense it is. And I say go walking near water because um, just get out of your environment, the environment that you're in. And if that means go for a drive and go for a hike and find a body of water that's three hours away from your house, then do that. But like, just go walking near water because water has um, very special properties. And um, when you're around bodies of water, it tends to like, it's very calming. It's very soothing. Um, and it's scientifically proven, but don't, don't ask me to get into the science behind it. I don't know it. I just know it's scientifically proven. So go for a walk, go walking near a body of water. That's what I would say. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> By the way, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I do all the all, all of these things that people suggest. I'm doing it, so I'm gonna go for a walk uh, around the water, and then I'm gonna write uh, how how it was. So I'm gonna let you know for sure. Absolutely, I would love to know how it is. Like, yes, be very aware of yourself, of your mental state as you're getting close to the water, and then as you're leaving as well, how you feel. That's what I'd like to know. Perfect <laughs> deal. Well. um... I think we can wrap it up with this, right? Yes, I believe so as well. So f thank you for uh, <laughs> for this conversation. Yeah. I'll have to go back to it uh, to, to kind of process it, but it was very delightful. And um, well, if you, if you guys enjoy this episode, uh, let me know what you think. You can reach me either on my Instagram at danik-pesera uh, or you can just write me an email at pesera.den at gmail.com you can find all these links uh, below um, and if you did enjoy this episode don't forget to also uh, give it a rating that will help us spread the message uh, and if uh, people want to get in touch with you Carrie, where can they find you Ooh, excellent question um, my Instagram Carrie K-E-R-R-Y underscore P-A um, that's my my name on Instagram. Definitely, I'm always open to hearing um, what people might think, or if they have questions, you know, being of any kind of kind of assistance. So, perfect. Thanks. And we're gonna we're gonna put these links uh, in the description as well. So uh, don't worry if you didn't uh, catch the the names. Uh... Sounds great. Well, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the beautiful conversation. This was great. Thank you. Thanks, Gary, and thanks uh, to all the folks who are listening. Ciao, ciao. Bye.